Salutations, everybody. It is Maddie here today with episode 240 of the Ham Radio Podcast. And it is me, Carrick, with ACG. Perfect. Carrick, my friend, as always, I like to check up on you. How are you doing this lovely Friday? Excellent. I have no coronavirus at this time. All right, perfect. That's great to know. <laughs> I'm glad you're in good health. <laughs> Stay blessed. Appreciate that. Um, so let's just leap right into it, man. Have you been playing anything as of late? Any games? Anything catching your interest? We were talking last week how yeah, February is just dead as shit, but has anything at all grabbed you? Or is it just a movie, maybe? Uh, no. Well, okay. So two things. I have, I played about four hours of Wolson this morning, uh, which is a Diablo-style game. Um, and it's... It's good. It's not like knock your socks off, but it's good. It's been enjoyable to play. And then actually, yes, TV show. I've been watching The Outsider, which is a Stephen King uh, TV show. Uh, very slow, methodical opening, but it's basically what would happen in a normal small town if a possible like supernatural event happens. And it's n- it's never it's not world spanning supernatural event. It's just small enough to where you're never a hundred percent sure what exactly is occurring and um it's really fa- it's it's awesome because they're consistently trying to figure out what the real cause of of these weird things going on would be versus like supernatural there's no vampire hunter who shows up and is like i know everything everybody instead is like what's how is this possible and uh it dude it's yeah it's fucking awesome i think we're i think we're about one episode away from the last one that's been televised they have a, a couple more but fantastic show little slow but on purpose slow that's what i've been interesting doing. on purpose slow so describe that a little bit you said methodical have you seen justified slow. no have you seen um okay this tv shows you don't watch movies but you do watch some tv shows i do yeah so what's yeah, a what's a tv show that you've that you like uh, I could go to one that I actually kind of got back into recently. It's it's not like TV TV. It's the um, Clone Wars animated okay. series that yeah that one that apparently so, it's coming back. I think this month. Um, so you know how Clone Wars usually has um, the uh, the episode issue, whatever the problem is, and then the overarching thing. So it's, it's you're you're always there's a little thing going on in the episode, but then there's some character development, and then there's also the overarching story. What goes on in this is one event is the entire season, one particular thing. And every single episode is following the people around it in a much more sedate fashion and in a slowed down fashion. So there's never that moment where you and I in a D&D game where you're like, aha, I rolled 20 intelligence. I figured out the bad guy that it, these shows don't do that. It's picking Keeps it away. close to the chest, you mean? Yeah, and it's picking ah, away. Gotcha, gotcha. And so, like, they'll spend five minutes looking at, and, and it's really off-camber discussion, very realistic. Like, when two people are together, I just did it, you'll, you'll halfway get through a sentence and then say, like, hey, man, speaking of that, did you check out the new VR game? You just bounce to a completely different subject, and that happens in the show. So it'll be like two two cops watching video footage. They're just looking for one dude in eight hours of video footage, and they'll be talking. And then somebody will be like, "How's your foot?" Oh, I, you know. And it's so it's like the issue with all these side meandering narratives. And uh, it, dude, it's it's fantastic. I like them. I love fast stuff too. But occasionally, I like to pick a show and just and and give it time. And this show and this show has just enough creep factor. 
every episode has some creep factor that you're you're like sort of laid back and you're like, yeah, it's no big deal. And then you're like, wait, what did I just see? Who's that in the background? And your brain is like, I don't know what's happening now. So it's been enjoyable. Cool. All right. Yeah, I, I just wanted to ask because like, you know, for me, like as someone who, who breaks down games more than shows, when someone says like a show is slowly paced in a good way, I was like, what? What does that even mean? Yeah, because so, I think it is yeah, different it. in games versus shows. I think you're right. Oh, absolutely. Because I think yeah. gameplay you got or games you have to account for gameplay rather. Yeah, you gotta right. Think of you got to cross all those bridges. Yeah, for me, I've really just been playing Smite. Um, Smite, and I started a Bullet Storm because I saw that the Outriders reveal was coming. Uh, we'll talk about that later in the show, but I knew it was going to be an RPG, and I was like, you know, I never had a chance to get my hands on uh, Bulletstorm. I've had oh, it for okay. free through PSN for a while. Uh, and man, that is such a... It is the pinnacle. and Actually, pinnacle is not the right word. It is the perfect example of what gaming in, I'd say, 2012, 2013 yeah. was, right? It's like a very linear... It's a snapshot. Fast-person shooter. Yeah, it has a fast-person shooter. First-person shooter. Yeah, it's, it's just... Yeah, like little truncated sections. Like it doesn't have the movement all together because Doom didn't exist where it kind of revolutionized that. You can see how it was lagging behind, but it had like really good ideas in some areas, like the skill point system. And as you, you for those who have never played it, as you take enemies out in stylish fashion, whether you set them on fire, shoot their head off, or you kick them into a cactus or all this different stuff. It's a highly interactive game, which is where the fun comes in. But you don't have that locomotion like we've come to expect with games like Doom and, and first-person shooters that have followed suit. Um, it just doesn't have that. So yeah. a part of that's because it's it, it was made so long ago that the, the levels couldn't be as open while maintaining all those gameplay elements. So it's been just a real, like you said, a real interesting snapshot of what gaming was back then. And playing it, I'm having fun. Like, it's not that great, but I'm having fun. It's made me really appreciate how far things have come, though, for our industry. And uh, so I'm, I'm happy I'm playing it. Really short game. I've kind of just, like, piecemealed through it, and I'm still already almost done. Because, mm. like I said, I've been playing a lot of Smite. So what essentially happens is once we're done playing Smite, I, I hop on this game. I've hopped on it for, like, two two-hour sessions, one one-hour-and-a-half session, and I'm already in the last act. So really really tiny game there is multiplayer and challenge runs but like i said the gameplay is it just feels stiff and that's mostly due to the controls mm-hmm. i even tried remapping but the the other control options that are there just uh it's it's not the remapping that like we have nowadays once again you know it, it, it makes you appreciate the options we have because they have like different settings but they're not good what what you have to do is sprint with holding the x button but then if you double tap the x button you'll slide clicking on the left stick lets you crouch the sensitivity for your x and y axis are completely different but there's only one sensitivity meter a lot of oh, things right. like yeah. that that just really throw off That's the shooter old. and it doesn't feel good to control where the gameplay is very much like get in their face kick them into a cactus kick them to barbed wire shoot their head off but the controls don't let you. Uh, so it's 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 really strange. It reminds me of like Red Dead. Do <laughs> you know what? The game's fighting against you in a real a real weird way. This entire time, it was actually reminding me of uh, Dead Island versus Dying Light. Because mm-hmm. Dead Island tried. Better and example. It was cumbersome. And then Dead I- or Dying Light, I think, for the most part, tr- did the same stuff, but was slick. You felt like you oh, could yeah. do what it was saying at times. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, it's 100 percent true. You had like this really weird weight attached to your feet in Dead Island where, mm-hmm. where Dying Light, you could just really get on a roll. And plus with the grappling hook, yeah, that game is great. So yeah, that's kind of what I've been playing. Nothing spectacular, nothing of uh, interest or unique. Uh, new Dragon Ball card set came out, so I've been just dedicating oh, cool. a lot of time to that as well. Um, just because, you know, that's that's my addiction. That's my vice. We all have one. Um, anything else you're playing? Anything else you want to talk about? Anything you want to pimp before we get into the news for the week? Uh, no, I've been doing some... Uh, you know, like, I got here... It's funny you mentioned that because there was a new uh, Mage Knight or Heroescape set too so i got hmm. those they're based on black panther the movie so like cool it, so like sometimes when heroescape or, or, or heroclix comes out they'll have a black panther character that's based on the comics then they'll have one based on the movie then they'll have one based on like a different version of the comics so those came out hmm. and i've been playing with what, those. Are, what are the different uh, abilities i guess because i only have the ninja turtle ones because i'm just like a ninja turtle freak like what, oh did, what did you, you get have, like, the heroescape for for ninja turtles yeah, yeah. Oh, very. Because cool. I, I, I got into it through that. I played it, and I didn't know it was this huge, expansive thing. And that's what sort of pushed me away because I thought it was just like a one thing, right? And one then, in, and, in, yeah, yeah. And and then I caught into the the Dragon Ball card game where that sort of took me away because I was yeah. like, I'm not going to spend money on both. <laughs> it's yeah, a pretty big sink. Um, so like, what's the difference between these characters and Hero Clicks? So if you, well, if if you mean like multiple um, Black Panthers, what had happened is they would look at the movie and they would look at like a comic book. Let's say they were making two Black Panthers and one was going to release in May and one was going to release in December. They would actually go and look at a movie and see actions he did in the movie, like a, a special move he did in the movie that was very cool. And then they would they would also do the same thing for the comic. And then they would look at the skills that are in the skill book and assign one of the skills that fed with it. So, like, if Black Panther in the movie dashed really quick, they might call it, you know, like, something like that on that character. But the other Black Panther... Oh, it's a little like... Batman's easier, actually. So, Batman, you have Christian Bale and you have Ben Batfat. You know, the big old fucking fatty Ben is in there. But he's big, right? They, those yeah. Batman, his Batman sculpt would look dramatically different than Christian Bale's. And his would have, like, punch into the floor because that's a movie move that he did, right? And so it would be a pound move, and you would know that skill generically. And then maybe Christian Bale's would have, like, a different kind of batarang because he was a big, you know, he had a lot of different tools in those. Even more so, I think, in those than in in bins and that's how they do it and so you can have batman against like we one time we had like 11 batman against 11 other batman all taken from night the old the tv shows uh all the movies all the specials and we had a battle between batman just to see like which team of 11 would win and it's pretty fucking cool they've done they've done some incredible work to sort of make sure that whatever you get is you know feels at least somewhat unique to somebody else awesome yeah that's what it's all about man with those yeah those types it's of just games. like cards in that way they want yeah, to make sure exactly when you get it you feel everything's just gotta somewhat. be slightly viable yeah, right? exactly like, that's the thing yeah yeah i get that so that, that's cool man plus you have a sick as shit game table so yeah yeah helps. took me a long time to make that son of a bitch but i, I did it get it made off, man and, yeah yeah I, I still remember the first picture you posted that i was like damn it's like that's so it's so clean but it, it, ex- so it explains why they're so expensive because mm-hmm. when I originally was going to buy one, I was seeing the prices, and I was like, why the fuck are they so expensive? I'll build one. And then when I built it, I was like, oh, I see. 
Yeah. I see. Because it's not yep. easy <laughs> at all. <laughs> you pay half the time, ladies and gentlemen. When something's high price, you're paying for convenience. You're pay- yeah, and like that incredible artsmanship. Because I'm telling you, I glued this thing together, and I glued way more of my house than I did that table. There was Dude. glue everywhere. Yeah. It was a it was ridiculous. It reminds me of AirPods. Like you're you're paying for a Apple headphone without the wires, and right. you're like, why would I spend two hundred dollars on that? And then you put them in, and you're like, wow, I don't have anything fighting against me, trying to strangle me while I'm doing yeah. things. Yeah. And I can listen to a podcast or music while I go on a run without a worry. It's and just it's, some improvements over what it's, you have. It's, but it, is it a $200 improvement? I wouldn't think so. I wouldn't right. say so, rather. But, uh, I wouldn't. You know, you're, you're, you're paying for convenience. Literally, yeah. that's half the time, you're just paying for convenience. <laughs> All right. With that, let's get into the news Ladies and gentlemen, as always, we are uh, a gaming podcast. Every week, we just round up the news. We talk about it, and if you want to support that vision, that show, then we are available on Patreon. You can get early access for the show for a buck. $2 puts you in the tier where you can get early access to not only this show, but the other podcast I run with my girlfriend every other week called uh, BFGF AFK. We just did an episode uh, discussing our favorite GameCube games. Oh, and cool. And then... Yeah, yeah, it was really fun. We're kind of turning it almost into like a supplemental side gaming podcast because um, people seem to like the the back and forth between like real talk and just kind of like in-depth game stuff. Yeah. Nostalgia podcast sort of. So it's been fun doing that. And then at the $3 tier um, is the Discord. So you get access to everything I just mentioned, plus getting involved in the show, asking questions, which we have a bunch of today that we'll get through. Carrick, you also have a Patreon. Anything fun going on over there? Uh, yeah, but we can't. Yeah, can't talk okay. about it right now. But yeah, All some right. pretty big stuff coming up uh, in the next couple of weeks for sure. Awesome. Yeah, it's gonna be a busy couple of weeks for for both of us. Yes, I think, very with, busy with stuff happening. Yeah, and so uh, with that, I also like would like to say uh, for the future of our show, um, we have some pretty neat guests lined up on a list a lot of emails have been sent these last number of days so you should start to see some more i, I trust in our show i believe in our show so i think you're going to start to see some some pretty awesome guests soon and um i just want to make sure everyone's prepared for that knows it's coming i don't want to say who be prepared because we yeah but uh be prepared it's gonna be cool all right with that out of the way now carrick let's talk about Game console prices, the new gen is on the horizon, and we have a, a guesstimate, one that, I mean, at least for me, I've been listening to a lot of, like, PS5 discussions, Xbox One uh, Series X discussions, so I wasn't too caught off guard by this latest price statement, but we're going to get into it. This comes from a, uh article on Bloomberg, so let's give it a read here. It says, Sony is struggling with PlayStation 5 price due to costly parts. Scarce components have pushed the manufacturing costs for Sony Corp's next PlayStation to around $450 per unit. So this is just to manufacture, by the way. The $450 is making the console. It is not the actual price that you are purchasing it for. But we'll get into how that tells us sort of what the price is in just a second. Forcing a difficult price-setting decision in its battle with Microsoft, according to people with knowledge on the matter. The Japanese conglomerate is preparing to gradually replace the six-year-old PS4 console, releasing its PlayStation 5 the same holiday season. Its arch-rival debuts the Xbox Series X. Sony typically finalizes a console price in February of the release year, followed by mass production in the spring. 
With the PS5, the company is taking a wait-and-see approach, said the people asking not to be named because the details are private. Uh, the PS4 released in 2013 at a retail price of $399, $399, sorry, uh, but was estimated by IHS Market to cost $381 to manufacture. With the $450 unit cost and the similar gross margin, the PlayStation 5's retail price would have to be at least $470. That'd be a hard sell to consumers considering Sony's most expensive machine now is the $400 PS4 Pro and it is often discounted. Consumers will benchmark their expectations based off the PS4 Pro and PS4 thong said. If prices or if Sony prices above that, it would likely be to balance a need to offset higher material costs against the risk to demand, which Sony had declined to comment on. Uh, we can dig into this article a little bit more, but it's all about tech and stuff. So let's pause there. Um, let's talk just general prices. Does $500 to you sound too high? No. Yeah, I think it was right where I expected. Does that mean it's cheap? No, but it's it's right where I expected for a new console that's going to be pretty powerful, it sounds. Yeah, I don't. I, I think people should actually. I mean, remember also that that's just for the system, one controller. Most people are going to get one game, one controller with it, maybe. Mm-hmm. You know, so they get the two controllers. So you're actually talking more along the lines of almost six hundred dollars, or five hundred dollars, or yeah, six hundred. Yeah, yeah. And um, I'm not actually even a hundred percent sure five hundred is going to be the thing because it, it. It. I mean, dude, inflation's changed. Um, people's plans for purchasing is different. Um. Uh, cell phones are a thousand dollars now. Multiple cell phones are coming out at the you know seven hundred plus range. Those, of course, to a lot of people are required for their daily lives because they're a bunch of pussies. But <laughs> but I I don't know. I I personally think five hundred would be the best bet. But I wouldn't like wake up tomorrow and be completely stunned if it was five fifty like or something like that. Yeah, I'm getting a feeling that. Either it could be a lot more than we had initially expected. $500 does sound right from like both standpoints. I think my prediction has been that you're going to see probably Microsoft eat the cost a little bit more to A, undercut Sony even more, sort of do what happened to them last generation with the original Xbox One, but also because Microsoft pushes so many services and they are more, I'm trying to get on every platform, right? We saw them head to PC first. We see them moving on to Switch a little bit. There is the rumor of the xCloud working on the Switch to give Game Pass an option on the Switch. So provided those that part of the rumor also ends up being true, I think Microsoft sees a more profitable future in just getting the consoles in their hands and then relying on their very valuable services. So I think you're probably going to see Microsoft undercut Sony, where Sony's trying to take this wait-and-see approach. I think Microsoft's going to just take charge. They're going to say, you know what? I wouldn't be surprised, ladies and gentlemen, 450 I would not be surprised at all if Microsoft just went 450, because Sony's going to look at that and be, you know, based off what we hear, it costs that much for them to make the system, and Sony doesn't, you know, they got good offerings, but I don't think they have the offerings on the level of a Microsoft. They have great exclusives, but they don't have the services that I think could be more consumer friendly to them, uh, which means I think Sony's inevitably going to be above them. I just think that's sort of how it's going to pan out personally for me. But also with how powerful these consoles are, uh, given that there may be a shortage of production of them thanks to the coronavirus, which we talked about a little bit last week, um, there there is also the possibility of um, 
attacks on all of these coming over from China to the U.S. So a lot of that accounted for the price can just inflate, as Carrick said. So th these could just shoot up. That's what's interesting about this console generation. I've been just getting this sense that it's a lot more Wild West than I think people are letting on. And we always talk about each day new people are getting into games. So some people may not have even seen just the, the PS4 and the Xbox One and how that generation started off where I don't recall entirely, but I don't think there were as many leaks like this. I don't think it was as uh, unsure. You know, it, it just sort of happened. Um, and obviously the internet's changed a lot in those past seven years where information does get out a lot quicker and does spread like wildfire. But yeah, man, I just I think it go it could easily go either way, is sort of my standpoint. But five hundred sounds right. Yeah, and I mean the coronavirus thing doesn't only affect um, you know, it may not affect their particular manufacturing, but it could affect like like they were saying with the RAM prices, and we already knew RAM prices were gonna go up, which was completely unrelated. So you have all these things that are multiplying and so like what normally would be, oh, five bucks change is now like, oh, well, that changes this by five bucks, which actually changes this over here by five bucks, which actually, ch and you have this weird, uh, like, domino effect that I just don't think people are preparing for. So for me, I would just say Microsoft might also end up, so Microsoft has their service announcement um, coming up, which will indicate how much you can get the uh, Xbox X series, how much it'll be, as well as how much it'll be for the service and the system if you want to do the payment plan. So that's probably going to be, I would assume, I don't know, anywhere from like 20 to $30. But then they've also got the Lockhart, which is their weaker system, but it's still twice as powerful as the X. So there's a weird thing that is that may happen too. If they price the Lockhart at a really good price, and then they price the Xbox X at a price that is probably what we might expect for a very powerful system, let's say $600 just for a second. You actually have what's very well known in salesmanship, which is you can't undercut it too much or you'd look like you're not as worth the money. So what would happen at that point is Sony would have to decide which one is the competitor because they're in the middle now. So do you go to 600 because you want people to think your system is as powerful? Because money does matter. People don't believe that, but it absolutely does. I mean, every sales, every single bit of data we have about sales does indicate that while somebody sells something at 99 bucks and maybe sells a ton, they were originally sold at 300, which is why 99 sells, because it's a deal. If it starts at 99, people will go, there's something wrong with it. So that's, that'll be really interesting because there's like three price points. If Sony is going to have to wait for three announcements, they're going to have to wait for, if there's the Lockhart, they're going to have to wait for the service price to figure out where that is. And then they're going to have to identify the Xbox X series price. And then they have to figure out where they fit in the power scheme. It's, it's, just, it's, uh, it's, it's all fucked up. Yeah, I just I just feel like sitting on on this side of the fence of waiting to see what Microsoft does and then reacting. I don't believe in reactionary marketing in any way, shape, or form because I think it just sounds like to me they're they're stuck in the past. That re, maybe it wasn't reactionary. The price may have been set already, but it looked like a kick to the balls to Microsoft last generation when Sony came out and said used games work, and they did this whole video showing how you could put your used game in your console, and then they undercut the console prices. Like I said, everything was just a huge dunk on what Xbox was doing. And I really think while, you know, Sony kept it going, right? They, they had great exclusives. 
Um, that, that initial dunk on Microsoft helped them roar out the gate, let's be honest. And I think they're looking to replicate that, but I think they're not respecting maybe that Microsoft is a much wiser opponent this time around. Yeah. And also that Microsoft now has their eyes. Their eyes aren't even set on Sony. I, I don't even think that's the thing, right? Like Sony's, I think Sony's taking a very narrow focused approach. They're, they're looking at Microsoft and saying like, well, let's see what they do. Microsoft already came out and said last week that they don't even view Nintendo or Sony as their direct competitors. They worry about Google. They worry about Amazon who are trying to get gaming to what I think Phil Spencer said was like 70 million people. So I think that's also why you're starting to see like Xbox creep onto the Switch because they're like, look, you know, these people can just completely wash us over with how much reach they have. Now, if I'm Phil Spencer, I'm sure he's not talking about Stadia. I'm sure he's talking about just the general reach of Google and if they kind of hit the ground running um, and get cloud gaming right, which they have access to a ton of resources, they, they could eventually do that. Um, so I think I think just it seems like Sony's not taking the most wise approach if that's why they're reacting, right? Um, yeah, and some of that. Just oh, sorry. Left in limbo. No, and I'm just saying, especially when you're left in limbo with prices, I think you have to be more decisive because soon, you know, you can't reveal it too late because people got to save up for it. That's the truth of the matter. Yeah. Sorry, um, now go on. I didn't mean to cut you off. No, I was just going to say that. Um, also, it's it's. I with if you read that entire interview Phil Spencer was doing, he was answering a, a wide ranging series of questions, and it wasn't just about games platforms; it was about streaming. So I took what he said to mean he's not an idiot, and he understands that Sony's a competitor, but they're only in the competitor in one particular place, of which there's four, and one place that their competitor is for a platform that does not upgrade and sits at your home. That's one part of what Microsoft is going for. They are also going for streaming. Now you are not looking at Sony at all because they're not even engaged in it. And you are now looking at these others. Then, you know, he says we're not competing with Nintendo in a way I think we've all known that because they don't have portable hardware and they don't have the games like Nintendo has. So... Right. So to me, it, to me, just from him being where he was, I think it was a little bit of some PC political talk. But I also do believe that their thought process is that they have four competitors and none of those competitors overlap completely with any others. And they really don't. For example, Google Stadia, if it had worked, still wouldn't be a competitor for home hardware because there is no home hardware. It would have been a competitor just for streaming. So I think that there's there's some oddities even in how they all want to go about it. And and you are absolutely right. They would take a loss. Microsoft is known to take a loss. Matter of fact, they're one of only two companies that has on hardware multiple times taken a loss to get them into people's houses. I think with a situation like this and with them seeing services the way they are and people like jumping into those, I can see them just packaging everything and, and trying to get people, you know, engaged in that and just saying we'll lose on the hardware because remember if you're super popular and you're losing on the hardware you're making no money you're making you're losing money so there's actually a very fine point in there where companies if they know they're going to be super popular don't want to lose money because they're not going to recoup it microsoft has a way to recoup it so they are going a weird way that i don't think we've seen a lot of other companies go they know that they can lose it where i think sony just doesn't have the infrastructure they don't ha- dude 
I don't it's think not, Gaikai panned out for them as as well as they should have. No, and they got on. They got Microsoft and Sony split on live as well. Some people for on live. Matter of fact, one of my favorite YouTubers was a on live employee, and when they crumbled, he went to Microsoft, and his friend, who was also streaming with him, went to uh, Sony, because they sort of you know hired hired the people that d crumbled at on live as well. And um, I just they're not there they're not there and then microsoft yesterday announced that huge announcement with samsung too saying that they're gonna have streaming on all samsung phones so it's like microsoft is doing something that's just it it's hitting where they always have hit but it's all this other stuff and if it works and they don't have some huge issue like the coronavirus because another thing people were confused um unless it's a proprietary issue in the ps5 Xbox will be hit by those price increases as well. Just yes. so you know. Yeah. Yes. And, and I, I know you knew that. I didn't mean to say just so you know, but just so you know if you're no, watching. No, I know. I know what you meant. Those yeah. DRAM is DRAM. It's going to be in both systems. So if one company's being hit, uh, it'll hit both unless Microsoft moves their stuff to Thailand, which the rumor was they were. But we'll see. I didn't even think of that. Let's keep reading this article and we'll dig in a little bit more. The company's biggest headache, this is referring to Sony, is ensuring a reliable supply of, as Carrick said, DRAM and NANDI? N-A-N-D? Yeah. NAND? Okay. You just tell me. You, 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 do, you do all the tech stuff. Uh, NAND flash memory. With both in high demand, as smartphone makers gear up for fifth-generation devices, according to people familiar with Sony operations, Samsung just announced its Galaxy uh, S20 product range each variant of which will have 5G and a minimum of 12 gigabytes of RAM in the U.S. Most of the components for the console have been locked down, the people say, including the cooling system, which is unusually expensive at a few dollars per unit. Typically, companies would spend less than a dollar, but Sony opted to lavish more on making sure heat dissipation from the powerful chips housed inside the console isn't an issue. I think, you know, after the Red Ring of Death, you can never be too, too safe on that front. Right. Um, the ongoing uh, coronavirus outbreak has had no impact so far on preparations for PlayStation 5 production. They said the company has yet to decide how many PlayStation 5 units it will make in the first year they added. So that's as it stands now. We're talking in the future, depending on, obviously, a status of a cure, of yeah. treatment, of how widespread it gets. Stuff worth considering. Uh, continuing on, separately, Sony plans to release a new version of the PlayStation VR virtual... Why did they write VR virtual, virtual I don't know. reality? Yeah. Interesting. Uh, Sony plans to release a new version of the PlayStation VR headset, tentatively scheduled after the PS5 goes on sale. So interesting, they are going to give VR a second go because they are technically the most popular VR platform in a lot of ways because it's the cheapest way to get in. Um, but I don't think it's... They just closed down a VR studio, which is... And Carrick, you made a video down, about Yeah, that. they closed down their main VR hub studio, strangely. Yeah. So interesting that they may be doubling down on that. I don't know why they don't double down on the Vita, just saying. But anyway, uh, wrapping up this article, Sony has already canceled some previously planned features for a new mirrorless camera due to this year, uh, owing to the uh, constrained DRAM supply, several people with knowledge on the matter said. Uh, Sony executives are voicing patience about the next console's pricing as they anticipate the transition to be a gradual one, said people familiar with its day-to-day -day operations. Many of the games launched for the PlayStation 5 will also be available to play on the predecessor's machines, which we already know. Kind of take a look at Outriders, which we'll be talking about later. Uh, so revenue from software and related network services is expected to keep the business performance intact. 
Sony and Microsoft are both expanding their respective online subscription services revenue from which may allow them greater flexibility on hardware pricing as Karak and I sort of tackled. Uh, Almost done here. People within the PlayStation business unit said a key factor in deciding the ultimate PlayStation 5 retail price will be where Microsoft sets its price for the next generation Xbox Series X. Microsoft is widely expected to hold that information back until the E3 Gaming Expo in Los Angeles in June. There is pressure from CFO Totoki for Sony to provide more transparency and information in the build-up to the PS5's release, which has caused some consternation internally. Asked about when he expects Sony to provide guidance on the gaming business outlook for the fiscal year, Totoki said that the plan is no different from the recent past, meaning the guidance can be expected around the end of April. If the company takes longer than usual, analysts may look to its next investor relations meeting to glean hints about the new console's retail pricing. That company meeting is going to be held in late, or that company, the company held that meeting in late May last year. Sorry about that. Okay, so really meaty article there. Lots of great information there. Great write-up by Bloomberg. Um, with that additional info in mind, any new thoughts sparking about uh, the future pricing of these consoles whatsoever? Yeah, I think Bloomberg's lying. Oh. Jim Ryan, and I just quoted his article less than a, a week ago, stated very clearly... Sony as a whole expects the PS4 to PS5 switchover to be the most aggressive and quickest switchover ever. That, Bloomberg article states, they feel that it will be slow and the uptake will be by, you know, like organic or whatever. That I is like... absolutely <laughs> not what Jim said. See, I thought of that while I was reading. And I feel like what I just did there was I, I, you know, I passed you the ball for an alley-oop and I was like, I just don't get it. I don't, do and dunk. that's what they might mean by consternation. <laughs> they might mean that those two are butting heads because Jim is very direct um, uh, mm. and, and very, he wants a certain thing. It sounds like Sony Japan may want a certain thing. So they're going to have to come to grips with it, but that is absolutely exactly, there's no way of interpreting it. It's exactly the opposite of what Jim has said. Yeah, and 100%. Jim said it we've, twice. We've brought that up a number of times. On yeah, the show so too. I have it's no clue. Strange. Yeah, because I think we brought it up last week. So I have maybe that's what they mean by like the the consternation is maybe one just wants to put it down and say let's do this, and maybe Jim is more let's hold back and and play mm-hmm. this um, without giving date out. I also do think you're right about saving. I do. I think you're right about saving. However, I do feel. That withholding the price point, even after E3, by the way, mm-hmm. is would not directly affect those initial purchasers that much, unless there was a yeah. massive delta. Like people were expecting five hundred and it was eight hundred. If if I were Microsoft, I'd be like, here's some fucking wicked games that play on all of our systems, and we're gonna have a service. Stay tuned and just let Sony have to sit there and go, okay, if we don't announce it here, Microsoft still has an event prior to the prior to the release. We don't. So what do we Isn't do? Isn't that in September, though? Um, th- well, wait, is what? In- I think E3 is in August. The, the Xbox. Yeah, I'm talking, sorry. I'm talking about the Xbox. Yeah, they have, they have an event after E3. Mm. So I'm saying they're the only ones who could say, we're waiting. I mean, they... Yeah, it, really, it also depends on their, their main... Um, their main selling point for the console when we're looking at microsoft we know they have that kind of subscription service to get you to buy an xbox you can pay like 20 bucks a month if they're gonna make that like their main pushing thing like pay 20 dollars a month for the next 
uh, 24 months and get an Xbox Series X day one. Uh, if that's their main pushing point, announce it as late as you fucking want, right? Because, like, I, I think people exactly. would absolutely eat that up. Exactly. I just, yeah, I mean, we just don't know. Also, Microsoft, though, if I were Microsoft and I knew E3 was mine, right? Because it is. Because mm-hmm. Sony's not going to be there. If I was if I was MS, you know, I know people say it's dying, whatever, and we're, we're going to get to that in a bit. I'm not on that group. But if I were Microsoft, I'd be like, well, if it's going to die, let's burn this motherfucker out. I would make this E3 the biggest, most massive fucking E3 I possibly could. Yeah, ring it dry. I, yeah, I would ring it dry. I would be like, this is not E3 anymore. It's MSE3. It's like, this is ours, and we're just mm-hmm. going to... You know, if these guys aren't going to be here, let's fucking make sure that huge third parties have a, a giant amount of time on our on our stage. Let's make sure blah, blah, blah. Let's make sure that people can't leave E3 without knowing everything. So it'll be interesting. It's it's probably going to be one of the better launches ever when it comes to strategy, like watching mm-hmm. how they did things. And also their own impact, the coronavirus and just the sale, the prices. It's that's It's got to be tough to be a leader and go like, I want to say the price, but I don't know if it'll be the same thing tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, so. exactly. That's the thing. It can change because for those who don't know, it's just like the virus can impact workers who are yeah. helping manufacture the console. Look at Foxcom. So, major yeah. major workers, they were quarantined for 14 days. Also, lastly, uh, the cooling system in PS4 is just like the Xbox in the fact that it's more expensive than last time. So both of those guys are trying to go for CPUs that are overclocked, obviously. And I'm assuming... They're, they'll probably be somewhat alike, but um, it makes sense that it's more. If you look at the Xboxes, it's a fucking massive fan. It's like a wind tunnel effect. I would assume PS4, PS5s is going to look maybe not the same form factor, but it's yeah, going to be Yeah, the reports beefy. to be trusted than, than the cooling system. They said they invested in that. Yeah, a couple more bucks. Yeah. Yeah, which I think is smart because if you're messing with stronger hardware, um, it's just like building a PC. You always want to have a good cooling system in there. You don't. Yeah, want and if you have a PS4 Pro, you know what it's like to have that thing turn fucking freakishly on in the middle of, like, some game you're playing. And just have a... Yeah, it's just, yeah, it's just like you got a jet engine. Yeah. yeah I, I don't think there's a louder console sometimes than the uh, original Xbox 360 spinning a disc. Like, it's just... Oh, you don't oh in the old game, disc drive? Yeah. Sure. Yeah, holy smokes, man. That shit was so loud. Until Noah, former host of the show told me that you can press Y on the dashboard and you can install the game onto your hard drive, then mm-hmm. the disc doesn't spin as much or as right. loudly, at least. But my God, when I did that before, it was like... They, oh, God, it sounded like someone was taking off. It was ridiculous. All right, any closing thoughts on the console pricing or shall we move into E3? No, it's going to be very fun to watch. Yes, yes, let's, let's get our popcorn and kick back. All right, so pretty significant change for E3 this year for those who watch every year, which I imagine most of us at least keep a tab on it. Jeff Keighley has announced on his Twitter account that he's not going to be attending, and I think the most useful article for this has come from gamesindustry.biz, who interviewed Jeff Keighley and released that alongside his announcement. So let's get a couple of quotes from Jeff. Uh, Kind of general synopsis for those who don't know is that E3's been going downhill, E3's dying, so we'll talk about that as well, but let's read what Jeff had to say first and why uh, his absence is admittedly significant. Um, Given what's been publicly communicated about the plans for E3 2020, I just don't feel comfortable participating in this show at this time, Keeley said. I saw the E3 website leak this morning and said, you know what, I really need to let people know what to expect from me so no one's disappointed. 
Uh, this certainly wasn't an easy decision to make, but I think it's the right one for me. I wanted fans to know before tickets go on sale. Keeling went on to say, We're at an interesting inflection point between physical and digital events, and certainly E3 is in the middle of a transition, evolving from what was traditionally an industry trade show, he said. As someone who has attended E3 for more than two and a half decades, which, by the way, ladies and gentlemen, he has not missed an E3 for 25 years, so this is his first one he's hopping out on, there are, of course, a lot of emotions. But when you look at it objectively, E3 is really just an idea about uniting the industry and fans to celebrate the medium on a global scale. The future of E3 will be determined based on how effective the brand is at delivering that goal. He continues, I absolutely think there's a way forward for the brand of E3. This is just my take, but I think E3 needs to be more digital, global, and inclusive in its approach to connecting gamers and celebrating the industry. It's not really about who buys a booth on the show floor. Anyone who participated in the game festival on Steam around the Game Awards probably was pretty, probably has, sorry, a pretty good sense of my vision for how we bring the world together around games. Keeley added in that he will be supporting the industry in other ways this year. I'm always open to conversations with game publishers and partners about ways to evolve how we come together for industry events, no matter what. It's really important that we get everyone to participate in these events. That's something I'll look forward to doing at places like Gamescom and the Game Awards. And this, follow, this follows uh, Keeley, or I'm sorry, PlayStation deciding they're not going to show up. Um, I noticed one, he brought up a bit about the Game Awards. I noticed like one bit of, I don't want to say hypocrisy, but as he starts talking about where the industry is heading and how E3 is celebrating games and stuff, I don't really see in a number of ways what's so different about the Game Awards and what he does. I really, really don't. He even said on his show just a couple of months ago now, he just said how it's all, or I'm sorry, I think it was on his Twitter he just said it was about announcements. He knows that that's like the main draw for them, announcements. Same thing with E3, right? Like E3 is available digitally. There's a lot of streams. I guess the global part does make sense. Can you have E3 in other places at the same time to get more people involved in playing games? Sure. Could there be more E3-based sales? Of course. Those types of things. But I don't, I don't understand, in a sense, his perspective being so different from what he you know is a visionary for with game Awards. i think he's full of shit and i think the hypocrisy is incredibly high first of all not only does he say that but second of all he's got a competitor like a competitor show he does and this is why a couple uh i think the first year he did it i was like he's definitely not going to continue to do e3 at some point it's gonna it's gonna you know drag off additionally just like all press, they're very pissy old men who are mad that YouTubers and, and, and gamers can go. So now he's trying to change the target for E3, pretend it's a different target than his own, and be like, oh, look at us, we're doing this, but these guys need to change. No, they don't. They don't need to change at all. They have fans going to a show that for the longest period of time was a bunch of old men who loved to have their little secret fucking cult meetings and be like, look at what I got to see that no one else got to see. YouTubers came and stole their lunch. And they're not succeeding to get it back. So they're making their own YouTube channels half the time. And the reason why is because a lot of those people, a middling YouTuber has a much larger influence than a massive website now. It is just a fact. Go look. It is a absolute fact. 
And what is happening is just like him, he's trying to fight for exclusive trailers on his, on his video game awards. He's trying to fight for exclusive announcements. It is very difficult to fight when at the same time you have an event in the close proximity that does a lot of the same things. Because he was trying to sell it on that YouTube thing he does, the Coliseum. Additionally, not to be rude to him, I released that video after hearing a bunch of people on a forum tell me they didn't even know he was at E3. And then I do the video and multiple people are like, Jeff who? What's Jeff got to do with E3? The problem is, is E3 is already global. E3 is already looked at by multiple people. E3 is already co-streamed. E3 did not require in any way, shape, or form Coliseum. And I've watched Coliseum. It is bad. I don't, I don't know any other way to say it. Go watch the last couple Coliseums. It is a repeat of what's on the fucking game show floor half the time. And it's a bunch of people going like, mm-hmm, so you've got this new game. Yes, we already fucking said we got a new game. It was like a repeat. There were multiple times where it'd be like, so you got a new game coming like out in, in March. And yeah. they're like, uh-huh. And you're all, yes, we know because they already showed the fucking trailer that's coming out in March. And all this stuff was repeated. And what really needs to change, honestly, my personal opinion is it, what really needs to change is a lot of the people's belief that there is anything special about like journalists or YouTubers, because we're not, you and I talk about this, we're gamers, we open up a YouTube channel, right? And it works. And what happens is these guys don't understand how to make a change, so they start making this, this sort of exclusive thing. It's like, oh, you know, you need to do this, you need to do that, there's absolutely nothing E3 needs to do different. E3 is fine. If E3 goes away, that would be a shame. I would see it transforming, because things are changing, but people are pretending E3 is the only thing changing. That would be ignoring the game awards are new. That is a change. It is creation. Creation is change. So that's change in and of itself. And then you also have packs. How many packs? You've gone to a packs. I've gone to a packs. They're fucking massive. There's a different, there's a different feel to them. This kind of bullshit, dude, it sounds like what an old dude on a hill talks like. That's exactly what he sounds like. He sounds like an old elitist dude on the top of a hill trying to hide it, trying to be like, I'm fighting for the, I'm fighting for the common man. So I'm going to go down there and I'm going to fucking sell lemonade on the street corner. And it's like, yeah, but you drove down there in your limo. So what the fuck? I mean, there's nothing special about what he said. I just think he's a liar. I hate it. I, I think he's a liar and I think it puts it, it reminds me of NFL players where like when one NFL player does something People will jump on them and then slightly change the rules on them and like give them other rules they need to attain. And suddenly this person's like, well, not only can I like, it's almost like when somebody's watched too closely, we know they'll say something bad because people say bad shit in life. You know, it's yeah. like if you're yeah, watched you're too mean. closely and it just puts all this focus on something when in real life, a lot of times, you know, they doth protest too much. And that's what he's doing is he's just, he's protesting too much. And to me, I don't buy it. That's me. You yeah. can tell I'm fiery I mean, about it. I fucking hate it. I, I, it, it's, it makes us look dumb. There are certain things, like, you think of the leak last year that, like, docks tons of journalists and YouTubers. For sure. Like, that's, that's awful. You know, that definitely hurts E3. That hurts the industry. It's not a good look whatsoever. So I think that definitely damaged the show. Um, I do think – I agree with your stance on the, um, you know, like, there are tons of fans going. It is bigger. I mean, in a sense – 2018 was their biggest year in show history, I believe. Like it yeah. was. 2019 was down by 3,000, but 2018 yeah. was their biggest. 
Yeah, and so you know you you have that going for you. So I don't know, three thousand is that like a substantial dip? No, I I do see the writing on the wall in the, in a sense of um, E three needing to change. Um, but I I think but what not the way he said, Maddie. Yeah, no, right? yeah, exactly. Yeah, it doesn't think, make sense. I think people are failing to see what companies are starting to do is these convention spaces are useful. But what's happening is I think with E three is leveling with others. Look at yeah. PAX East, right? You have PAX East. This coming uh, couple of weeks, you've got Bethesda going. They're bringing 76. They're yep. bringing Doom. You've got Sony going. They're bringing The Last of Us Part Two. You've got Square Enix going. They're bringing Final Fantasy. I'll tell you what, people. When I went in 2014, I was shocked to see Lawbreakers had the biggest fucking booth of the entire show floor. We know how that panned out. PlayStation had a small booth. PAX is not like a major show-off-your-game place. But because now companies are adjusting to... These conventions are popular. E3's got a big name, but so does PAX now. So what's happening is you're just seeing companies go for what suits their needs. And for Sony, it doesn't suit their needs to go to E3. And we are seeing a creation in the digital realm. Directs are insanely popular. PlayStation has State of Play, which is you know something that they're experimenting with. Maybe it will become popular. But I guess that you could already argue it is popular, but not in a positive way. People are hoping for that big banger direct-like show. Yeah. But I think their direct has some inherent bias because people just are used to what that is and there is an expectation there. Um, you know, so there is digital creations there. And, and what you're seeing is just companies suit their needs. And Jeff Keighley is, is suiting his, his needs. needs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, I, look, you know, I, I respect his thoughts. I, I, I think what he's... But it's fake altruism. Is, yeah, and I fucking... Exactly. It's, I it's fucking a little bit of despise fake. that shit. I, yeah, it's a little bit of fake, and I respect the guy, but so it's I. a little fake, you know. It's, and yeah, not to say you didn't, but it's just a little fake, you know. I'm not gonna sit here, pull the fucking wool over my eyes, and be like, oh yeah, here's what he said because it's in black and white on paper. It's like let's let's you know use a little intuition, let's read into it just a little bit, not to the point of speculation. I mean, he runs. He just talked about how the Game Awards 2019 was their biggest show yet. It was the most lucrative show yet. Like. Why the fuck would he host E3? The man clearly makes enough money, and he's doing his own show now at fucking Gamescom. His production team is the one who did opening night live for Gamescom. <laughs> for God's sakes. Like, yeah, true. I think the writing's on the wall in that, in that form, too. He's got two vested interests in his company at two completely different shows. And I, I, can, I would be shocked if he didn't talk to the people at the ESA and say... Hey, you know, what if my production team came and we hosted something not called E3 Coliseum, but this, and it's my show? And I'm not saying, like, Jeff Keighley, like, he's an egomaniac in that regard, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if that was something that was pitched and didn't work out. He saw the leak in the morning and said, you know what, this is a perfect time to just hit the button and pull out. And that was it. I, and I agree. I think a lot of people also forget that E3 used to be big because Gamescom wasn't huge. Gamescom, mm -hmm. European, people don't have to Gamescom fly to was America. Gamescom attendance, but not Dude. the... Yeah, the amount of, like, but here's showcases. the thing. Things are, it sounds weird. We're in a world where people can jump on a jet plane, but now it's so expensive that every developer I talk to is like, I'm going to drive to PAX. It's uh, two hours, let's say, to PAX West. I'm going to drive to PAX. I'm not flying to E3 with my booth and paying for a booth there. I'll hit PAX Prime and maybe one other PAX with my game, and I'll hit the gamers and and possibly some influencers where you don't have to hear about the long lines. Cause even at PAX, there were long lines, but nowhere near E3. I mean, not even close. And, um, and there were gamers there. PAX is a gamer centric thing. And I think in Gamescom, 
is getting that way and getting more stuff. So yeah, things are changing. I think they're all just going to, like you said, level out. E3 will probably be that way for years just because of tradition. Um, but it, it's also not stopping something else from starting. Remember how PAX right. started? Like people don't even remember how PAX started. So Penny Arcade. Like, I mean, of all the weird ways to start a convention. <laughs> I know. I so. know, right? Yeah, man. It's yeah, like 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 we said, it's. I feel like it's just leveling out. I do think, while I think it's E three E three is good to have more consumers coming in because it benefits probably these companies a little bit more and you get more feedback. I I also think of it how they may have hurt themselves by opening it up to fans because E three was at least for me. I don't want to speak for you. E three for me, like growing up, was the goal, right? Like I watched it on TV on Spike for a while. Um, I watched it every single year and I was always like, man, like I just want to be on that show floor because around that time it was when it was uh, just the press, just YouTubers, um, just game creators. And it was sort of like this open playground. It was the goal. And to see it sort of uh, downward spiral in a sense, even if it's not as, I I don't think it's as aggressive as a lot of people have painted it. Uh, It's still kind of sad to see, but I think that's what made E3 stand out. And once you leveled E3, E3 almost intentionally leveled itself with packs and so on to get more people in by opening it to the public. Originally, it was this exclusive secret thing, like you were saying, which was a little fucking annoying because for those who don't know, the games industry is disgustingly clicky. So having these clicks just like littered about E3, it, it could be tough to socialize, get in and all that shit. And so quite frankly, I'm glad it opened up, but I think E3 did do some self-sustained damage at that point because they did open up. It's good and I don't want to say bad, but it, it, it's good for people and us, but it's it's not smart for E3 as a business, I think. I just don't hey, know uh, if oh, we would be Go mentioning on. this at all if there wasn't the leak. I really don't. I think the leak allows for people to see a chink in the armor and start poking it. I don't personally believe... I, I, I actually do agree with you and hadn't thought about them leveling themselves with others, you know, because they were special. It's a little bit like, you know, you do have a country club and, you know... It's kind of like what you said about the, uh, the Xbox and PS4 pr- yeah. uh, pricing. You know, just like that exclusivity helped them. I think. Helped them. But I, I also do believe it didn't. And here's why. And this is something I firmly believe because I've talked to developers who back it up all the time is that the opening of the doors creates its own issues, but it has alleviated a shit ton of issues, including the pure monopoly on news the game websites have had. Pure monopoly. And a lot of developers hated... So people think it's always like YouTubers versus journalists. In fact, other than a journalist getting mad at a YouTuber for fucking reading the news or something, it's really not that much. But what you do see, especially when you talk to PR people, and if you don't believe me, go look in Google. Um, you see a lot of, you see a lot of developers, especially leads and journalists, on Twitter. You see a lot of this like sniping that goes on. One of the major reasons is is because a lot of these people were holding the mallet over these companies and are like, well, if you don't tell us, we won't cover your game. Or blah, blah, blah. And we've seen it. IGN has stated it. Oh, well, we thought because we previewed this game, we'd get a review copy. Bull fucking shit. You're not owed a review copy. 
there work prior to the very delivery of the game means absolutely nothing. You and I have dealt with that. We're adults. I don't know how they're not adults. Um, I understand the, I don't want to say expectation, but like the, the thought that you would maybe be on a, on a list of consideration. It's like, why would you be? No, you're absolutely correct. Because a list of consideration means you are being considered. It is not called a list of guarantee. Yep. So like you get it. I'm on a list of consideration. Maybe they were, but guess what? They weren't on the list of fucking guarantee. And what we see is a lot of these developers who are getting ramrodded and have got ramrodded. And we know IGN and the IGN first thing, that's sort of become a thing where it's like, we'll cover your game. That's a smart way to do it because they're huge. You know, uh, co-carnage does it. It's like, I'll cover your game. That means a lot, right? That means a, a ton. But those, I think, are more organic than what we used to have. What we used to have was no identification that there was something special going on. You wouldn't get an IGN first. You would just get, and I remember reading these when I was at work, where I'd read like escapist going, you know, we're we're not covering this because of this. And you could always tell there was this subtle, like, there was, you know, somebody didn't scratch somebody else's back kind of stuff. And I like it more free for all, because then the developer gets to say, you know what? We want to talk to the 25 fucking viewer streamer for uh, Horizon Zero Dawn, which happened when Horizon Zero Dawn came out. Somebody with like 250, I said 25, 250 uh, subscribers got a code. That should fucking happen. And to me, that's exciting because that means it makes everybody go, fuck, we got to cover We got to make sure we're good. We got to make sure that nobody's resting on the laurels. We got to make sure that we're fucking bringing the game up. Sorry, I'm on a t- tangent here. I just, no, I just, dude. I no, fucking hate that. I hate this entire discussion. It's, it's, it's burned me out. That's why I did a video because I wanted to, not to you, but I wanted to be done with it on my channel and just be like, here's my fucking final stance. I'm walking away from this thing because it's just like, yeah, then, stresses then I'll, me out. I'll, I'll just wrap it up. Now. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> As I'm I'll like, wrap it up there. We'll, Maddie, we'll lower the thing. blood pressure a little bit. I'm just joking. <laughs> yeah, so Jeff Keeley not going to E3. Yeah. Those Jeff's are our thoughts. That's it. Jeff's <laughs> and, not going. Okay, what's what next? I will say one thing actually. I, I I'm, I'm pulling to you now. We we've swapped positions. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I got to interject real quick. Um, I think that uh, what's great too about E3 now and PAX now is, and more so, I'd say with PAX is that any company stands a chance of coverage because it is wide more, wide, way more wide open. You bet. Right. Like, uh, and and I mean the mailing list is insane, so it does get a little <laughs> cloggy. It does. But yeah, really ridiculous. But uh, you know, with that being said, it gives every game a chance, right? Like mm-hmm. that's kind of the goal, right? I get to see the game, I get to look at it, I get to pass it. And with you know so many YouTubers, like some are, you know, understand uh, to grow, we need to find our niche, and uh, maybe this indie game is that, uh, or maybe a game just clicks with them because usually what grabs people. Uh, more than anything, at least what I've heard it's on passion. my channel is like, it's pa- thank you. Yep. Passion, Sorry. right? It's no, no, it's, no, it's good. Yeah, you finished my sentence. It's passion. And so if someone like really is like fired up about a game, it's always consistently contagious and attention grabbing and you yeah. want to stick around for the ride. And so I think it's good that it's more open um, because it affects all of us. It affects you. It affects me. It affects IGN. It affects GameSpot. It affects anyone who works in games when when anyone has a chance to cover it and also anything has a chance to go viral that's the other thing i've had previews you've had reviews that have just outperformed any major expectations yeah Yeah. or or your own expectations where you're looking at the numbers going yeah what the fuck 
Exactly. Yeah, you just yeah, you look at it with an eyebrow raised like, okay, I'm going to walk away, make sure this is real. Yeah, right, right, exactly. Make sure yeah. some fucker dickhead isn't botting me. <laughs> yeah, right. And so, so and this isn't a character and I stroking our egos or whatever. We're just saying, like, no, that's it's... how open it is. You know, yeah. we're, we're, I'm a, a 374,000 subscriber channel. Not that that's small, but it, it, it's definitely not the level of reach that IGN has. But it, the fact yeah. that I can have something that outperforms them or Kara can on the review side or discussion side is great, I think. It's yep. good competition. Okay. Now we'll wrap that one up and talk about the Outriders reveal. So you had a chance to sit down and catch this one. It's being published by Square Enix, developed by People Can Fly, like I said at the beginning of the show for the What We're Playing section. Um, Outriders is the same people who made uh, Bulletstorm, and uh, I've been playing that lately. Did you like what you saw with Outriders? The second I saw the full production type of stream, like, you know, they, a guy on the couch, another guy on a, a separate couch across from each other, and they're like, so tell us about the game, man. That loses me like that, like a heartbeat, just right. instant lost interest. I was just like, I'll tab out, and I'll come back when the game's up. Uh, so I didn't listen to some of the conversation, so just so people know that. Uh, but did you, you know, like what you saw? Did it look fun? Yeah, it did. It did look a little, you know, I, I don't even want to say generic, because I think now we're getting to the point where generic doesn't mean anything because there's so many games. Like, how do you say, like... If anything, it might be the art style and the color palette that it yeah. tells people it's generic, but it didn't a, look A little non-grabby, but um, what I saw looked fine, and uh, the little notes that I read about what they're offering, because I got a PR announcement, I think, yesterday, where they said they were going to release the stuff, and it looked, you know, it looks interesting. I will say one thing, the, the old lead for developer, or for People Can Fly, and the, the current, both posted on Twitter to clarify something. Uh, the team has had 100% turnover. So anybody related to those older games are not there. Interesting. And, and you know what's funny is I, you could tell that looking at the game. Like, I looked at it and I was like, this doesn't look like anything from Bulletstorm. Yeah, so they just wanted to make it clear, not like, oh, it won't be anything. But they were like, you know, because people work together and that rubs off. But they were like, mm -hmm. it, it will be its own thing. So be prepared for that, which Good I thought was pretty open of both of them because the former lead said that and then the lead developer was like, thank you. You know, yeah, we want to make sure people, you know, don't think it's going to be ident like number two to Bulletstorm or something like that. Right. So for those who don't know, Outriders is like an RPG shooter, uh, third person shooter, mind you. And it's got a lot of loot, it looks like, which uh, really menus are similar to, I'd say, Destiny, yeah. uh, which is to be expected. Uh, just, you know, it's got that one circular cursor that just hovers around, and when you sit on a weapon for a little bit longer, you got another box that pops up, giving you the quick look at the stats. <laughs> really uh, uninspired HUD. Not bad, but just uninspired fucking HUD. Uh, but like I said, third-person cover shooter with RPG elements. Um, has a little power bar on the bottom, similar to what you'd see in Mass Effect. Um, a lot of YouTubers got to fly out to, I believe it was LA, to test the game. Um, they did not test it on the playstation 5 and the xbox one series x i keep saying xbox one series x xbox series x um but it is coming out on those consoles it's coming out in the holidays a very interesting game for square enix to publish they just do these weird random team ups sometimes and um 
doesn't really look like a square game, which I think is a, a good thing for sure. But was there anything immediately like eye-catching about this title to you, or did it look like something you, you kind of threw on a list? For me, it was like a wait-and-see because it looked a little rough. Uh, it, it reminded me, honestly, of anything of The Division, a supernatural The Division. But what about you? I mean, yeah. The, the, so the first thing, I don't like those HUDs because I feel like they're unresponsive with the circle thing. I, I hate the HUD that pretends it's a mouse for no reason. You're like, There's always like a lag to it when yeah. you use an analog stick. And you're like, this is not a mouse, bitch. This is a fucking thumbstick. Like, why, are you, why would you ever mimic? You would never have a mouse mimic a thumbstick. Like, that would be fucking ridiculous. People would call you stupid. But for some reason, that's become a thing in, in, uh, on the consoles. But overall, no, it looked, it looked interesting. The problem I have is that every time we get these third-person shooters, they never, ever end up good. Um, or I shouldn't say never, I should say insanely rarely. Everything from Strange Brigade to, uh, uh, well, Zombie War, any of the ones where you're like looking at the character and you're shooting around. Halakine's whatever. Wasn't that the game that you hated? Oh, Halakine's oh. Gun? Well, that wasn't <laughs> yeah. really like this, but no, that one was bad. Oh, Gene Rain. No, you're right. Gene that, Rain. Oh, that, that's what it was? <laughs> yeah, Gene Rain. Jesus. Um, which is getting a sequel. I just don't understand, like, what, anyway. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't know, dude. Like it, I liked what I read. If that makes sense, their ideas gelled with me more than what I saw, and I'm okay with that because you know they are just showing gameplay, and and I don't believe gameplay as much as like when I see an idea, I'm like, okay, I, I got their idea, I, I get that. So what I read mixed with the stuff made me interested, not salivating, but interested. Yeah, it definitely looks like a. That's the perfect way to put it. I was not hungry for more. I I was fairly disinterested just because, like I said, the the presentation. I was more taking like a wait and see approach. Then I saw YouTubers just posting their impressions, and I sort of just muted the impressions and just watched the gameplay. And was like, okay, now I got like a a feel for what exactly um, this gun, or this gun, this gameplay is. And so yeah, uh, there wasn't a ton to go off of. In fact, the reveal mm. that they amped up so much. Um, yeah. Right. Kind of got trumped by the general coverage that they planned from YouTubers. I, I don't know why companies do this. They they like to own the day rather than just own multiple days in in a, in a unique sense. Like you can own the day with your reveal stream and then say tomorrow we have YouTuber and Twitch streamer coverage. And now you've owned two days. I, I just feel like keeping yourself relevant as long as possible is really important. I think they sort of shadowed over their own. Uh, reveal and and what was shown outside of their <laughs> reveal was much better and uh, easier to understand. But yeah, I, I kind of like the mixture of supernatural and third person shooters. Um, I think it's just kind of gelling with me well because it reminds me of what what Boldstorm, funny enough, did it just like an older time. I don't think it'll be a game that sets the world on fire, but conceptually, like you said, it it does look and sound great. I sort of got that vibe from the initial trailer that we saw at E3 last year. Yeah. It just looked really different. And so I hope they sort of carry that as far as they can possibly go. All right. Anything else to say? Oh, sorry. I cut you off again, bro. I'm on a roll right now. You you were saying, is there anything else? So I just spoke too soon, but I was going to say that. (laughs) You read my mind? I mean, I I don't want to say I'm nervous about Square being the publisher but i'm gonna say i'm I nervous would. about square being the publisher i would absolutely say that i don't even know why maybe it's because it doesn't fit with their normal stuff like yeah i'll go with that i'll go that, that this isn't what i expect like so if you told me Techland was doing this 
um, or uh, THQ Nordic. In fact, THQ Nordic, this is their, like, this, w- I'd just be like, I get it. Feels um, like it fits better. Yeah. It feels, yeah. So uh, it, it's cool to see Square going out of their way to do something different, but Square isn't the greatest at supporting things like their E3 event where they just showed a video of some stuff. So hopefully maybe at this E3, if this is going to be a big game for them, you know, they should put some shit behind it because sometimes their games will come out and I'll be like, whoa, they have a game out? Yeah, like, they're... I want to cover it. Tell it, me about it. They're, they're a really, really weird developer, or publisher, sorry. Think about it, right? Like, and they, they are given probably more good grace than anyone else. They are out very there. much given good grace. Yeah. Think of Kingdom Hearts, how long that took. Think of Final Fantasy XV, how long that took, and then the, the butchering that happened years after. Think of how long Final Fantasy VII Remake took. Mm-hmm. Think of what was the game they released last year that was kind of like Metal Gear, and it was really bad. I can't remember it for the life of me. But they release these offshoot third-person games Somebody's... that are huh. terrible. Okay. They're publishing Avengers, which I'm sorry has. You know, I'll, I'll play it. I'll give it a chance. But the fucking character models are just absolute garbage in that pretty, game. And pretty fucking heinous, isn't it? Yeah, like like. And here's the thing: they just showed off the box art, right? And I'm looking at it, thinking, you know, ladies and gentlemen, there's a reason why they put Captain America's mask on. And they put Iron Man's full fucking suit on in the background. <laughs> right. Because if any of those fuckers had their masks off, oh my god. They'd be like, a kid would pick it up and be like, God, it's a horror game. It's it's terrifying, man. So, But I'm trying to remember that third person game that Square's also published or published last year that uh, reviewed terribly, by the way. Really, really bad. It was and- a stealth game without stealth mechanics. Like, you'd crouch and go behind someone for a stealth section but you just have to beat the shit out of them and hope no one hears you. Like you wouldn't, you wouldn't like choke them out or, or, or stealthily take them down. And the third person shooting was horrible. Oh my God, this is bugging me now. I got to look this up because yeah, this game look was... it up. It, so it wasn't, uh, it wasn't strange brigade then. Damn. My phone's listening to me suggested in the, the first thing suggested was square. <laughs> That's so funny. Maybe, yeah. They did publish near automata. Right. They did publish. Right. They did. Square Enix Games 2019. This should give us our answer. They did Oninaki, which uh, was underrated. Uh, Left Alive. Have you seen that before? No, you haven't? No, no? sorry for oh, people listening. I'm, I'm shaking no, my yeah, head. Kirk no, yeah, Kirk was just yeah confused. But, the... Oh, man. Left Alive. Dude, I haven't even heard of that. Interesting. Dude, I'll have to check it out. That's so funny. Oh my gosh. Just yeah, check it out when you get a chance. Oh my god. It just looks so terrible. <laughs> I, I mean, and that's the thing I'm hoping for these guys is that, you know, offering something different is great. So, you know, us, usurp my expectations of you would be cool. God dang, that dog is freaking out. Um, but I think I, I think when it comes down to it, they just um they 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 have they don't have the best track record for getting data out there and or or getting code early sometimes like you'll get code the like sometimes i can't tell if if their pr people are just the last people to know anything but you'll be like dude where's the, you know is there review code and they'll be like yep here it is and it's like one second before the game goes live or something sometimes it's a little odd well 
it's out in holiday 2020 and if you guys are interested there's plenty of gameplay and impressions on youtube to learn more those are just our hot takes now let's get into bioware's anthem relaunch they announced via a post on the bioware site that they are going to be doing a substantial reworking of anthem something that they claim they could not do through a dlc or a expansion they are just reworking the game they said they're going to keep you know doing some of their monthly events and whatnot but for the most part what they're doing here is just overhauling the game and i don't think it's the best call i made a whole video on it so i'll probably be relatively quiet during this section carrick i just want to pass the ball to you again are you interested at all in an anthem relaunch do you like the trend because 76 is doing a relaunch just in about two months we're seeing these these games come out, drop the ball, and immediately go, here's the bounce back. Just how do you feel about that standard that's been set and, and Anthem's potential in a relaunch? I, I don't want any game to, like, fail, so I'm okay with... Uh, so it's weird. They said we're not really working anymore on the Anthem you guys have. We're going to make a new one, whatever. I guess they must feel that whatever their idea was is is, like, is worth it. Which, to me, in a weird way, makes me more curious. I would never say, hey, you can't do it. And I've seen people be like, I hope they get shuttered, and I hope this company... And I'm like, dude, seriously, it's a it's a bad game. Like, And you're talking to somebody who loved them in the old days. So, to me, yeah, I'm interested. And I would like to see what their ideas are. I personally do believe that there was some. there must be something severely technically hampering them, especially because the quest would be three minutes long. And you'd be teleported back after seeing that weird scene where you'd all be standing there, like a almost like a multiplayer game. Even if, even though you were in like single player moments at times, there was just a lot of oddities there. So overall, I'm actually interested in seeing it. I don't, um, I won't yearn for it. But there were times, Maddie, where I was playing Anthem, little small bits of time, like I won't say more than three minutes. But there were little bits of time where I was having a blast, little bits. And, and the gameplay is fun. I think that's like yeah, being in the but suit. But can't and shooting. put it together. Yeah. So maybe they'll figure it out. I mean, well, maybe... the thing is, I, I always said like, you know, people thrash on Andromeda. And Andromeda from a story perspective and a world building perspective is, I think, a mess. But when it comes to the gameplay, like I, I say, it, it's fun as shit to play. And I think that, yeah, I, I understand where you're coming from, where I don't think it's a crazy thing to say like Anthem was fun to control i think that's where a lot of people's frustration stems from they're like damn man like this game could have been great because just let me play the fucking thing control yeah (laughs) Yeah. my my question is like a number of things like we read this whole huge write-up from jason trier on the the failure of anthem and and the the troubled development it went through you know this game that we're talking about now was thrown together in 18 months after seven years of production which highlights a complete lie in the initial blog post from Bioware that they were going to be reworking this game because they said they wish they had uh, initially a focused team to work on and iterate on the gameplay. And I'm just like, you had fucking almost eight years. You had plenty of time to get it straight, but you could not. Um, I just think there is a huge... And, and you know, I'll, I'll bite my tongue one last time until I see a little bit of Dragon Age 4. But I think when you look at Andromeda which now the studio who worked on that kind of consolidated into another one. Um, I think there, and then Anthem, of course, there is a huge design vision issue with this company that needs to be remedied. And I don't know what they got to do, but they need someone who's 
They need, like we were talking last week about Rod Ferguson. They, they need that type of guy who comes in and brings like stability and, and like veteran leadership. And I sound like I'm fucking talking about like a sports player, but like they need to bring a guy in who can get that type of job done. Like who can just write the ship and say like, this is where we're going. This is what we're building. Shut the fuck up. This is what we're doing. Like, and just go with that. Like the fact that this game had that many years and then they cite in their rework right up trying to pretend that an article with almost 2 million fucking views doesn't exist, I think just shows how mismanaged this product has been from top to bottom. Yeah, I didn't see the article, but... Um... Oh, worth a read, for real. It's a it's an essay and a half, man, but it's it's worth the read. It's pretty good stuff. I mean... I don't say good, like, I, it's, I, I, it's fun, the, but... The he said, she said stuff, after a while, I'm just like, okay, whatever. It, it, in the end, this is what we got. Um... So like you said, like they wrote that they want to rework it. I agree with you that they have a, a systemic issue. What you're talking about when you said sports is really a head coach, which I would agree. Um, I personally just, there's no other way PC politically correct way to say it, but I do believe that what we are getting is a lot of producers who are born in a generation of everybody's opinion matters. And my personal opinion is that is incorrect. Um, so I don't care what the chef thinks if I'm rowing a boat. He's got no say. And I think what happens in games, especially in the producer standpoint, and this is something Cliff Bozinski talked about, and he had a failed game even though he was, well, and he did this actually now that I think about it, but getting too much feedback. And you're, you're hearing all this stuff about, you know, you need to have a character who can do this. You need to have this. You need to have this. And what happens is you have a master or you have a... Uh, uh, a character who's like a bard in D&D, which is where they basically know everything, but they're a master of no skill. They just know, they can do a, a ton of general shit. And that's what we got with Dragon Age Inquisition. A ton of general shit. Was any of it terrible? No. It was just a ton of generalized shit. And that means if you have one bad thing, it brings it way lower than if you have even one good thing. Dragon Age Inquisition was lucky. It was all pretty bland. But then Anthem comes out, and it had one or two good things, but they weren't great. And then everything else was bland, too terrible, and now we're looking at this gutted fucking IP that they have. So I personally do agree with you. I think they need a, they need a coach. But I don't know if EA can do that. I don't know if EA could hire Rod Ferguson, because I think they're at the point now where they're so into getting everybody's input, whether it be alpha testers um you know early reviewers all this stuff that they're getting all the these game changers program you, the game changers exactly stuff like that to where instead of you know because what you if you wrote a novel it would be intrinsically different than if you wrote a novel and for every single page asked me my opinion on three parts of it it would be different and it would be less surprising to me it would be less interesting to me it would be there. How would you surprise me if I knew every page? And that's what's happening with games now. There is no surprise. There is no sharp edge. There is no golf because they're so worried about there being one that they they neuter it and they mow it down. And I, I don't think they can. I don't think they can hire Rod Ferguson. I honestly don't. I just don't think they have it in their corporate structure. Anymore. 
Sadly. Yeah, no, that's that's a really good point. It's something I never even even considered. It's funny because you know I'm not saying you did, but like EA is very quick to receive the blame for um, you know just anything yeah, that they're right. remotely involved in. They're an easy scapegoat, an easy target. But once again, we go back to the Jason Schreier article when you see that they got seven years, and I'm like, is EA really a fucking problem at that point for them if they can't figure something out in that a lot of time? Um, that's what I always just wonder about Anthem. You know, people are very quick to go, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, yeah, okay, fair. You know, they suck. But like, you know, they, they really just let them try to figure it out and they didn't. And like, that's when they come in and go like, all right, we need something. Like we need something to work with here. And, And I think that's fair at that point. You know, I know it's very hard to make EA look good, but like, what, what, what do people expect quite frankly? And so I just think the, the Anthem relaunch is not the right course of action. I mean, like you said, what's what would you rather have them do? Sorry. Well, yeah, get, no, I was going to say, I, I, I think it's um, kind of like you, you said, where it's, it's interesting that they believe in their ideas so much that they're going to go for it. I think that's kind of cool, right? It's kind of like watching an underdog say, like, we'll go to the sports example, underdog team kind of playoff fringe team saying, we're going to trade for the best guy on the market and we're going to fucking get him and we're going to push our way in. I think that's kind of what's interesting about Anthem. Um, but at the same point, what I would suggest is is Anthem, you know, just chalk it up, right? Like, and I'm not saying, I, I, I'm not like Mr. Give It Up, right? But in in a business world and in a entertainment world, when you had that much time to get Anthem right, to get it out, and it still didn't work, and updates sure. came out, and it still didn't work, it's not like you didn't try, right? It's not like you guys gave up, which, you know, kudos to you. That's a good thing. They they gave it their all, and, and that's great. But now that you've tried and it didn't work, I feel like you're bashing your head against the wall by doing a rework and trying to get something working here. When it's not that the idea can't work, but you need to start from the ground up and make a whole fucking game now. Yeah. And when you talk about the, the frostbite engine issues that really plague the development of this, I don't see how it's just feasible unless you take more years to make it. And at that point, I would rather say leave Anthem take those resources that we were just about to dump into a rework, pour it all into Dragon Age. And I'm not just saying this because I love RPG Bioware, who who made some of my favorite games, but go in on and make like, be like the fucking company that killed it with RPGs. Like, you're still known as an RPG developer, even with Anthem. You're still known as a role-playing game developer. And if that's not their calling in the sense of, like, that's their where their passion's at, they're not into that, and that's one thing, but they already we already know they are developing Dragon Age 4, so they have some type of interest in it. I don't see what's stopping them from saying, let's take this money. We know Dragon Age is a very successful IP, and, you know, arguably as popular as Mass Effect, maybe a little less so. And just pour the money into that, man. Take that rework, those rework resources and pour it into that, because you know it's not going to be cheap. That's the thing. You know, reworking a game, from, it's not just a patch it's not just an update. Yeah. It's not just DLC, which is also expensive. It's not an expansion, which is even more expensive. It is reworking from the ground up an entire video game. Even if Anthem isn't the biggest game, it's still a game with a lot of baked in problems. And at that point, I feel like it, a lot can get lost in translation. And, and you might just want to chalk it up, say, hey, we'll get back to this series Kind of like what happened with Rage, right? Rage, we thought, was dead and gone. Eh, never going to see a sequel. No one really expected a sequel. And they come back with Rage 2. And, and it's not everyone's cup of tea, but I thought Rage 2 was fantastic. But, it, you know, they, they tried the idea when it was right for the studio. And I don't think 
they're trying it at the right time. I really, really think it would be more advised to what I imagine will happen anyway is remaster Mass Effect, focus in on Dragon Age, just you know, center yourself. Do you know what right? would be, I think, one would be one of the coolest things to happen? It won't. Imagine if they were like, yeah, we're redoing Anthem, and a year or two passes, and suddenly a KOTOR slash Mass Effect slash Dragon Age game comes out that's called, like, Anthem. And it's where it's it's party based, but you have the robots you get into and it's like you're a warrior. And instead of disregarding the world that I think they're pretty bought into the, the fiction of the world, I, it sounds like they're pretty. And instead, say, because we've seen first person shooters and RPGs in the same game world. So it's like that would be cool if they were like, OK, this isn't working. And then suddenly everybody thought they were going one way and they're like, well, that didn't work. Here's your here's like a new because Mass Effect. I think Mass Effect's gone for a while. Dragon Age, they can do whatever they want. I would be excited to see another one. But I also would love to see them do what they did with Jade Empire, which is a world I didn't... Ex- I was just like, wait, what? Like chi- Chinese and steampunk? So if they said Anthem, but KOTOR, that would get my... I mean, I would legitimately be like, wait, what are they doing? And instead, it's that completely different format, this format we expect, flesh out the world, and then maybe get some people to buy off on the IP and then go back to the multiplayer later. But like I said, probably won't happen. Dragon Age is yeah. probably what we're going to see. Yeah, it's just, I feel like what's weird about Anthem is it's not like the existing game is making up the ground, right? Like you can't even argue, I feel, that EA saying, you're going to make this overhaul because we need to recoup assets because you guys spent a shit ton of time and money getting this project going. Right, like it's not even like the the game is currently existing and generating revenue, and all you have to do to figure that out is look at where Anthem is in the sense that people discovered two and a half months after the fact that the Christmas lights were still up in the game. It's not about the fact that the lights are up. Think of how long it took for someone to realize it, and then imagine how few people are playing and how little money is being translated into the game. I'm sorry, uh, how much money is, is uh, how many players are translating into money spent, rather? The, the short answer is it's really not. So it's not like they're making money on it. So why are you going to now put yourself in a further deficit with this game? Oh, because, no, Maddie, I absolutely firmly believe that they have um, IP uh, growth built into the Anthem movies. Oh, you think like it's I firmly to believe be that way bigger. I firmly, be- I okay. I do believe okay. that. Yeah, that sorry, sense, I should but... have made that clear. Uh, the reason why I think they're sticking, it because you're right. Because you look at it and you're like, well, obviously it's not making money. So what do you do? You curb it. You're like, it ain't working. Um, because well, they did that with Mass Effect, right? Like that's the thing, <laughs> right? But with um with Anthem in particular, it's mechs and it's people. It's a little bit less scientificy than than uh than uh, mass effect um my personal opinion is that there was a plan for books anime netflix specials i believe ea activision all of them are looking for that destiny has tried to be it and i just don't think it's ever gonna recoup i just don't think destiny will be what they wanted ever but that was where they were aiming for destiny and that is where absolutely i think that ea is looking at anthem 
as doing that currently. And they think probably it fits more than Dragon Age, even though Witcher has showed fantasy works. Um, and so is Game of Thrones. And they, they feel it probably works better than Mass Effect. Um, but with Anthem, I do. I think they're thinking Pacific Rim, you know, like mechs and people and robots and, and, and Iron Man and Avengers. And here's our, here's our water cooler moment. Interesting. Interesting thoughts. Yeah, no, that's it's definitely possible that they were thinking it could be much bigger and they could just essentially make money hand over fist. Yeah. No problem. Yeah. If, it, if it gets to that point, it's just, it's not such a far cry, right? Because like, like you said, the game's fun. It's just a matter of, um, of like getting to the part where the game's good and then the game has to not only be good because there, there are plenty of good games out there that aren't recognized so that you would get to that popularity level. Look at Division and, 2. There's yeah. a game that is amazing, is legitimately good, and no one talks about it, even with yeah. the new expansion. It was available for $3 the other available day. For, well, that, I, I think that was because the expansion being announced. I could be wrong, Still, but it seemed like a weird price timing. That's such a steal. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely $3. people should get it. Yeah, highly recommend it, ladies and gentlemen. If you're listening right now, $3 for, for that game is oh, steal. All right, with that out of the way... Let's talk about State of Decay 2, Carrick. This is all all yours, man. Yeah, so um, State of Decay 2, let me bring this up. Juggernaut edition. This will be March 13th, I believe. Let me check the diddly Another dates. March game. Oh. Yeah. And so this is not a small thing. Um, it's not like a typical, I guess you would say, like a special edition that's got like a fucking fixed map. Um it's State of Decay Juggernaut Edition. It's free for anybody who owns the game. If you don't own the game and you buy it in the future, after this date comes, you'll just be buying the Juggernaut Edition. So what it is, is it is launching on Game Pass as well as Steam March 13th. Um, they have a brand new open world map, twice as big as any other map. It's a logging town named Providence. They've rebuilt the entire tutorial experience to teach players more of the facets. They've got a completely new category of heavy weapons. They've got new skills. They've got new graphical improvements, including redone lighting engine and foliage optimization for better performance, which is probably one of the major ones. They've also adjusted the commands. So now stealth and dodge are a completely different part of the controller because they were actually a little bit like what Maddie was saying, where sometimes you go in a stealth game, you go behind the person instead of doing anything, you just beat them up. And that was happening in that game. They've also went in and redone missions, redone gameplay bugs to ensure a better experience. They've also redone the audio, which was having issues, and they've also doubled uh, the total amount of music tracks in the game. It will also include all of the expansions for free. So, yeah. Um, the, they, free on Game Pass. <laughs> they state very, very clearly that the only way this was possible is because it's a Game Pass game. It literally opens up with there is absolutely no way this would be done without any other type of support other than Game Pass. Like they their success on Game Pass is like Sea of Thieves. It's just it's ridiculous. And I talked to the PR person there about this because we were supposed to announce it on the podcast and they they forgot about me. I'll admit it. They they forgot. They they were talking to me and then hey, we've been there. Um, but I do talk to them. I've met her uh, multiple times and it like it's it's. It's basically made that company the ability to like look in the future and decide how they're going to place things and give people what they you know what they want adjustments they want, um, and not small stuff, which I sort of dig. Because how many times have we got that fucking like Assassin's Creed Assassination Edition, and it's just three, it's just 
the game with like it's DLC, right? And you're all, but that's just that's just a box with the same shit in it. And so is it replacing the original map from State it, of Decay Two? No, or is it's it... just adding another huge one. See, that's yeah, that's incredible. Awesome. I feel like anytime we've talked about this game on the show, it's always like a very meaty update. Yeah, it's never been. And it comes with the expansion. Wow, it comes with all the expansions for free. Awesome. Man. Yeah, and the the wow. thing is, is like especially with those guys. Um, at least I feel with those guys, every expansion I've got from them, whether it's for you or not, because I didn't like one, it wasn't for me, but I saw who it was for. It was for the multiplayer people, the the more uh, horde kind of gamer, because there was a horde mode style thing. Um, it wasn't a small thing. It was like a huge amount of things. Even though it was a huge amount for somebody else, I could still look at it and be like, damn. You know, like that's, it's like the Lego edition for Forza. It's not for me, but I see it and I'm like, dude, if I was a Lego fan, that shit would be fucking incredible. So yeah, it's awesome, man. It's, it's so cool. And the, the idea that it's launching pretty quickly is also not, you just, you, you know, it's, it's not a long right. wait. Yeah. State of Decay is, is a blast. I, I highly recommend it to anyone who's got a PC yeah, so or I. Xbox or Game Pass. It is it is a really good time. Uh, I have a review up, and I know Carrick does as well, for the State of Decay 2. I also have, like, old impressions of the first one, if that matters. But yeah, oh, the I've, old I've 360? A, or, or was yeah, it, yeah, yeah, when it was just, like, an arcade game or whatever, yep. the Xbox Live arcade game. Yeah, that, that game had its hooks in me that oh, summer. Me I too. loved the original, man. That, that shit was so fun. 15 Admittedly, frames I, per I, second. Yeah, but still, it was, like, charming because it was 20 bucks. <laughs> it was awesome. Yeah, but it just, I, I admittedly haven't played as much of the second one as the first one. Just because, quite honestly, I don't game on my PC because I work on it a lot. So I don't want to just be attached to it 24-7. Yeah. And then with Xbox, I just, I don't use my Xbox. My friends are on PlayStation, so I just go on there. Uh, so for me, I, I but I, it's, it's it kind of like what you said. You can look from afar and be like, damn. And so that's sort of yeah. what it is with State of Decay 2. But I do have that hands-on time where... It's fuck, man. It is it is fun. Uh, for those who don't know, it's it's a really dynamic game. So you'll be kind of like exploring house to house, and you're like, oh, it's another zombie looter. But if you like loot too fast and you make noise, zombies will like come in on you. And it's not like the most robust combat system where you can just hack and slash your way out. Like you know, you ha- it's a very human element to it. You're not some super powered person. Uh, and what happens is as you like do things in the world, your your character gets its skills up. But if they die, they're permanently gone. That's it. Yeah. It's over. And that's what's kind of like the thrill factor of exploring because at night it gets more dangerous. You know, your backpack gets loaded up. You're running a little slower. Uh, as you drive around too, that's the other issue is you can really alert the wrong types of people. So it's it's just such a fun, dynamic game. I think the skills it, are also cool because every person feels yes. different. So if one does die, like, and you can make them a mayor of your little, like, fort and then their major skill goes to everybody and if they die not only do they die their skills are gone but then um their attitude is different so if that guy's attitude is to raise up everybody's morale and it drops low people start getting in fights you'll hear them arguing with each other you have to kill your own people i don't know if you ever yeah, got to that yeah, point the, yeah. Option. yeah i'm just like what yeah when he's fuck? like i'm it's bitten dark. i'm bitten i need yeah. i need medicine i'm like we ain't got time to get medicine baby <laughs> <laughs> it's just like that shit was and it shows it like it wasn't pulling any punches it was like you know it didn't show you shoot it did the pan away right when you fired but it was like it was in your face, man, and a bunch of base building and and collection and the car the the world has specific amounts of stuff so you can run out. It's just 
it's fucking it is the game if you like those kind of things and, so and what's good. important to note is it's not like uh every time you spawn i think it is this way every time you spawn in the maps completely different like it's a things are hand placed like i think the loose generated but like i think the world itself the way it's built it's not like uh uh, procedural generation which yeah there's you can now choose the dlc added a map that is so you can do okay. both okay so yeah see I, I i think i'm just speaking for people who share my line of thought um there are games like risk of rain and, and slay the spire which are like procedural generation on steroids they're fun as fuck but there's some experiences that i don't think are as enticing if you're like zombies procedural generation I think it could be a turnoff. So just for those who don't know, uh, there is options for that. And you did know that the DLC added the original town, right? No. That the first DLC they ever did adds the 360 versions town. So you actually well, start. Goddamn. You actually play that game in State of Decay 2, basically. J- different characters, but you start out at the base by the church that you would drive down the hill and everything. Do they, do they connect in the sense where could you start in that DLC essentially in State of Decay 1 and then go into the State of Decay Correct. 2 map and then into yep. the new one? That's yep. fucking they, So awesome. you basically collect those resources and then try to get on the, the the bus, and then the bus goes to the next city, which is the next map, which then you do that one, and then it can go to the next map, and then you can choose the procedural. Yep. Very cool stuff. Glad you shared that. High recommendations from both of us on that game. It's really fun. All right. With that out of the way, we now get into patron questions. Let's see how many we've got today. Holy crap, there's a lot. Okay. Let's start off with Vault 101 guy who's got a couple of VR questions. We love VR questions here. Number one. With Oculus Quest introducing hand tracking a while ago, do you think it could be used in VR games on that system? Yes. Yeah, I I think that's inherently built for VR. Number two, have you tried Oculus Link yet? I'm wanting to buy a few Rift games, but I'm afraid I won't have a good experience. I have an i5, 1060 GTX, and 8 gigabytes of RAM. So is the Link like a more condensed one? I've heard of the Quest. I've never heard of the Link. So the Quest allows the link or allows the quest the link allows the quest to be plugged into a pc okay so the oh, okay. so now the quest this is why a lot of rift s owners are mad because the quest was supposed to be standalone and it was less powerful it makes sense it's its own little processor but at some point facebook decided to allow the 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 link which is a cable that will now plug in your quest to your pc's video card so you can, you oh, can so use it. It's a little more of a buff. Yeah. The problem is I have heard some people have had issues with a little bit of latency because you are not just going straight into the visor. You're actually going into the CPU, which then has to do some shit and then goes into the visor because the quest was already doing its thing. But overall, it seems to work well. I mean, I, I, I think the biggest issue is it. Um, I think people aren't in love with the cable itself, but that happens a lot of times. Nobody loves the cables on no, you're just looking at an alien with a cable hanging yeah, out of the back of your head. Yeah, fucking out of the back of your head, moving your around. Yeah. <laughs> I'm guessing it's more cost efficient. I know the Quest is cheaper, but is the Link combined with that like a the Link, ultimate cheap option for a for you know, that VR I, headset? Yeah, I don't know if it's cheaper than the than the Rift um, I, by itself. I don't remember the cost of the Rift by itself, but it, it's just another option they offer. And then there's some differences between the two on the screen for sure, like the, the fidelity huh. of the screen. Interesting. You think this person would... I, I don't think that sounds like a VR rig 
an i5 1060 GTX and 8 gigabytes of RAM? Oh, no, they're fine. You think they're fine? Okay. Yeah, take down That's what I the, know. the guy who... No, no, well, you're right if you're thinking Fallout. I shouldn't make that clear, actually. So if you're talking Fallout, you might have issues, but um, Takedown played with a 1050 Ti, and he oh. was playing with an i5. <laughs> I, like, his okay. shit was ancient, and there's some tricks you have to do for some of the more advanced games, like Reprojection, but the game will tell you. Like, you, like there's options. You just click a button. Let's you say you wanted to play, like, Boneworks. Oh, like, yeah, way, totally fine. Totally fine. Okay, yeah, yeah. cool. Then you're Half-Life good, Alex, totally fine. Yeah, it's just Perfect. the high definition. Skyrim might give him, you know, depending on what he, what mods might give him some issues. Awesome. All right. There you go. You should be set, Vault 101 guy. Be. Hope you yeah. enjoy your, uh, your VR headset. Of course, do do tests uh, or look up people testing it on weaker hardware. You can easily yeah. find videos to, to see and key in on performances. Don't use websites like canirunit.com and shit like that. That's <laughs> They're not even that's real. Not gonna, yeah, it's not going to help you out. <laughs> Natural Calamity asks us, you are now a writer on the supposed KOTOR remake, and you are put up to the task some of the companion, uh, to do some of the companions. What would be their place in society, and what would be their overarching story? So it sounds like we're creating just a, a unique individual companion for a KOTOR remake. There's no HK. There's no Bastila. What are you doing? I got one of mine. Go for it. So I thought of this because of the cover of the original KOTOR. It has the cell cath on the front that they never used. This was a companion in the game that was cut. If I were to put a companion in the game, though, I always said it would be a cell cath because most races are accounted for in the KOTOR party or in some way, shape, or form, the major ones at least. I would say it would be really neat to find the cell cath in the underwater Manon base He's one of the cell cat who's losing his mind. And you're presented with an option similar to Juhani, where you're, you can lead them down one path or the other. Juhani, you can kill or have her join your party. Same thing with the cell cat. He's sort of losing his mind he, he, because he's been trapped down there for so long. He's watching fellow cell cat kill humans, and he's like, what's going on? And you sort of have to like talk him off the ledge a little bit and tr- get him to trust you. Um, and his overarching story, I don't know, that requires a lot more thought. I'm way too thorough in a number of ways to just slap that together. But at least the initial introduction and how you meet this unique companion, I could I could envision immediately what I would do. I think that would be a, a natural place to fill him in. Um, he, he'd slot right into the party. Um, and in, in setting-wise, too, it's not like he's just out in the city and you're like, hey, what's up? I'm going to join you guys. Kind of like even... The Outer Worlds is guilty of. Like, right away, Felix is like, yeah, I'll tag along with you. Your ship's cool, man. It's like, yeah, this is why you fucking suck. But, uh, you know, I, I think that would be a natural way of meeting him in terms of, like, overarching story and how he ties in what this Cellcath does. I I couldn't tell you. I have no idea. Maybe Carrot could. Yeah, no, I don't. I mean, I, with, like, I would have to know, like, what exactly the i mean if the story was identical then it would be weird to just have not the same npcs so like i was i I, yeah i don't i wouldn't even know how to answer that because i my idea would be along the lines of like adjusting things that fit with the current np like if you want to add an npc to the current ones i could do that but the idea of like them not being the same ones i mean i got one I got one. I got a really good one, actually. Okay, sneaking with the Cellcat thing. There's a part in KOTOR where you... And this this has to happen every single time in the playthrough. It's part of the main story. You break into a Sith base. When you leave, you're put on trial. If you fail the trial, Mm -hmm. you die. 
Also, one of the cell cats does offer to to essentially, you know, lawyer you and what, I forgot what his exact term was for for Kotor, uh, but he he wants to support you in your case. Now, let's say that our new companion, instead of finding him in the underwater base, he is the man trying to lawyer you. So what happens is you step into the courtroom, he's at your back, you guys you guys you know work the system. Right afterwards, he gets jumped. Right, like you're you're walking around the streets of Manan, going to your next main story point, and you see him under attack. So you go in, you save him, maybe, or you let him die. You could let him die, and that's it. He doesn't join your party. So you jump in, you save him. He's like, oh man, you know, either how can I thank you, or or similar to how Zalbar was, you know, you save his life. He's kind of like, I owe you a life debt. I don't think that's built into the Selkath people. So it's something along the lines of maybe you could hire him, you know, quote, hire him to join you on your intergalactic adventure in case you need a little more representation legally and you teach him how to fight. And and the story is teaching him how to go from lawyer to combat specialist. <laughs> there's my uh there's my overarching story on how he ties into the narrative. There you go. Works perfect. perfect. All right. Great Ape has a number of questions for us. Have either of you guys checked out the newest DLC for Metro Exodus? I finished the base game last month and really enjoyed my time with it. Negative. Didn't Negative even know it was coming well. out until either the night before or the day it came out. Yeah, I had no idea about this DLC either. I hate to break your heart, Great Ape. Uh, I wasn't the biggest fan of Metro Exodus anyway, so even if I knew, I probably wasn't trying to play it just because that game didn't really click with me. Um, I just I didn't have a great experience with it. I, I, it's not that it's a bad game. I just did not have a great experience with it. I've gone on about it multiple times. I made a whole review video on it. Um, but yeah, I haven't checked out the DLC. Don't really have an interest to, and I, I don't think I will. And number two from Grade Ape. For someone who never played the original Half-Life, what version would you recommend? The original Source version or Black Mesa fan remake? I would say the original just because it's free now, and I know that's probably what Valve's considering with Half-Life Alex. So if you're looking from that perspective, that's probably lore-wise at least the way you want to go for it in terms of enjoyment I, I don't really know because i haven't played a lot of half-life in my day i played it on the was it the orange box collection on the 360 right. that's where that's where i played half-life for the first time and i'm gonna replay it with a buddy of mine before alex comes out on pc because like i said all the half-life games are free currently uh for those who haven't played them you have any knowledge on this or have you i mean like, i've really, played uh, i've played them multiple times um I don't really know much about Black Mesa other than it's a remake and like with improved graphics. So as long as it doesn't switch anything major, then okay, then yeah, that you might could be probably good. play that. But yeah, I just unfortunately I just don't know enough about what it added because I don't. I am not a Half Life lover like a lot of people at all. I I, I thought Half Life was good, but um, not good enough to revisit tons of times. So I haven't revisited the remake. Okay. Yeah, it makes sense. I wasn't, like, really infatuated with it when I played it, but it's been a number of years. Uh, number three is, do you ever feel bogged down from a game's core gameplay loop by extra upgrade systems or collectibles? Brothers, your favorite, or Journey were excellent, pure experience without any overall overly gamey elements. Playing Doom 2016 right now and a bit surprised by the amount of upgrades and secret collectibles. I was expecting more mindless running and gunning. Definitely have had to change my approach to the game. So have you ever had that where, like, a game's gaminess, as Great Ape would put it, uh, it's a gameplay loop of upgrades and collectibles have gotten in the way? 
or felt maybe out of place. Might They've be the gotten in the way saying. if they can get in the way. But what he's talking about, like, just because they're there, like a secret or collectibles, fuck, mm-hmm. I don't care. I'll just run right to the end. Unless yeah, I, ignore I it. yeah, right, just ignore it. So, but yeah, for sure. Like Final Fantasy games, a lot of times, Final Fantasy always loves to have the three or four different fucking systems. Every game, they're like, hey, look at our magic system. Hey, look at our fucking cards. Look at us. You raise plants. You can fucking breed animals. And at some point, about the fifth side thing, I'm like, Jesus Christ, uh, cooking in particular. I know that people like that, but I would say almost every game's cooking systems, I just, I just, (laughs) I don't want anything to do with them. And I didn't in Final Fantasy either. It's, it, it's so fucking stupid to me. I hate those systems. I don't think there's been a cooking system I've liked in the game. Hmm. I'm trying to think. Breath of the Wilds was eh. Um, Uh, The cooking system was eh? Yeah, because, yeah. Because you could hold, like, the ingredients in your hand, so that was kind of the cool part, and just throw them in the fire and see what you make. Oh, that's, um, see, that's at least you're interacting. Yeah, like, I, I like that. I thought that was fun. Final Fantasy fifteen had an okay food system, but a gameplay experience where upgrades and collectibles felt like me. It sounds like just like what you're saying is out of place. I would, I would say in Berseria... It's a JRPG, and when you run around, there's just these fucking orbs that you grab, and you use them to unlock these cat's chests, these pink chests, and I'm just like, I get it. You know that your world is open and kind of empty because the game was made very quickly, Um, but it's just, it's such a weird design choice. That's how, like, you're going to fill it out. I'm not saying add quests or anything because, obviously, once again, they're on a time constraint. They can't do that. I would just rather leave it empty. And it just, because what happens is, is you need these orbs because they open chests with like valuable loot. So sometimes you'll just run like completely out of place just because of your OCD almost. And it's, and it's like inevitable. Like everyone gets hit by it. So I think for that, that was what affected me. Kakarot with those fucking orbs. Yeah. Yeah. It's something with Bandai games. Bri Pry 159 one of my very good friends in real life, <laughs> said, Yo, Matt, I got a question. Do you think they'll bring GameCube games to the Switch? Well, I think you're in luck, Brian. I've heard rumors. You cut out like just many. for a second. Does he think we'll oh. bring what? GameCube games will be put on the Switch. Hmm. GameCube, not Wii U ports. Now, there were rumors that Super Mario Sunshine was to come to the Switch. Ooh. Who knows if that ends up being true? I'm not saying, like, oh, I heard from a source, by the way. I, just, I gotta make that super clear. I'm just saying what I've read online is that Super Mario Sunshine could be one of the games that make its way uh, to the Switch. And it would make sense because Odyssey was a huge hit. Even if it was a little... It was a great game. I beat it. First Mario game I beat in a very long time. Uh, but it was a little overrated. A little overrated. Um, but yeah, I, I think the other one that's going to be coming, although I don't think this was a... Now, this wasn't a GameCube game, but games were on the GameCube was uh, Metroid Prime, and the trilogy definitely has to be coming at some point soon. I'm sure they're just... I wouldn't be surprised if Nintendo's just sitting on that game. Like, it's done, it's ready to go, and they're just waiting for when they're closer to Prime 4 to release the trilogy, and then be like, all right, you know, 4 is coming in the next year or something. So I'd imagine games like that you can expect on the Switch. Plus, man, the Switch controller controls rather a lot better in the gamecube controller so i feel like a shooter might feel better on yeah, that true personally for me true droop snoot has a question for us great name 
What are some characteristics you want to see in more video game protagonists? I want more fat and ugly looking characters. Let's be honest, at least half of us are fat and ugly, so it makes sense. <laughs> what about you? You got any desires for protagonists? I've always been a believer of what what is the, the creator, you know, what fits their vision. I've always just been that. Maybe that's a very neutral standpoint. It kind of avoids any debates, any arguments, but it's just genuinely what I believe. It's always been what I've said. Just make who the fuck you want and make me care about them. That's the point of it, I think. Yeah, I don't really have just saying any, like, traits, like, I mean, like, what kind of trait would that even be? I mean, I, I would say more redheads, but, you know, they got Cal Kestis now. Right, there you go. There you go. Cameron redheads. Monaghan represented um, me pretty well. <laughs> right. Yeah, I don't, uh, I don't really have any requests other than, like, no, I don't have a specific request. I will say, though, that um, I think we're past the point of, like, if a game is a shooter or whatever and it's not d- distinctly really tied to the main protagonist, I-, I-, I would like both sexes to be in the game. I think it. I think it's overtly just causing more issues, even just politi- in this political time frame. It's like, you know, if you get a, sh- like, Zombie War 4, it had male and female. But I'm saying if it didn't, I could see people being like, why? Because there's no real reason it shouldn't that kind of stuff i would like to see in 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 my games um as long as that single player character like you said isn't intrinsically connected to the story and the writers like trying to explain what it's like to be a young male in a you know in primal or a young female in uh horizon zero dawn um i would like to see that but i, I can't really think of anything i mean there's dude there's so many np or uh sorry there's so many games there's kleptomaniacs there's bind was it binding of Isaac where you're chasing after the chick and you find out you're a stalker? Was that binding of oh, Isaac? I don't know. I've I've never even played that game. Okay. Honestly. There's I, one of, of there's a really platformer like and I can't remember which one it is. You think you're saving some chick, you get to the end and you find out like she's fucking legitimately freaked out by you and has been running away through the entire game. Like Princess Peach is trying to escape Mario kind of thing. Oh. So we've got we've got so many that I don't see that there's some gulf you know some some trait i i haven't seen one yet yeah my my big thing used to be like the voice actors there was a period of time and everyone goes to it i think it's kind of overblown now but like it was always feeling like you know you'd hear nolan north or troy baker right i I just kind of like i wanted more voice actor and actress variety you know give smaller talents a try who are you know they may be smaller in size but they might have even more talent and i wanted that it seemed like every game was like the same list of, of voice actors and actresses, like Matt Mercer's every game. Um, and I'm happy to see that's changed. So that would be my number one thing uh, for protagonists and whatnot. Uh, just games in general, I think, would benefit from that. And it has, I feel. You know, you've seen a lot of great new talent rise up. Uh, one of the people who, uh, or the person who's voicing Aerith in Final Fantasy VII Remake, like she made YouTube videos before mm-hmm. she got cast. Like, that's awesome. You know, she's a smaller talent, but she sounds like she's doing a good job. Like, that's so cool, I think. Yeah, so, I agree. You know, that type of stuff is what I look for. Of course, representation's great, too. I also think it's got to fit a vision, though. Yep. But, yeah, in a, in, a, in a situation like what you said where it's like a zombie army game, it's like, yeah, male, female, whatever else. Yeah. Throw it in there. Crazy Herb. I've recently been playing Half-Life for the first time, and while certain aspects of the game hold up, much of it feels dated. Are there any iconic games that you didn't play until much later, and how much of it did it hurt your experience? Ooh. Classic game I hop back to. I got one, but you can go first if you got one. Mario 64. 
because um, mm. I didn't play that right away. Um, okay. Uh, what about it? Was it just the way control? Camera now? was a big a... deal. The camera, oh, the yeah. camera in that game is pretty is is pretty it's pretty hot pig shit. Like it's it's pretty fucking terrible. <laughs> hot and, pig shit. and when I see anybody right. <laughs> try to like talk it up as some classic, I'm like maybe for its time, but you know we have to talk about like its its issues and it definitely has some. Um, there was that, and then there was usually it's big classic games for oh for example, uh, Metal Gear Man, Man, oh, Man, God, yeah. Man. Man, I don't understand how anybody thinks Metal Gear games are good. They're fucking terrifyingly bad. The only they're it the old ones. In, Metal Gear or Metal Gear Solid, the the original. I so I should say number the one that was like on eighty five Blu rays on the PS three. That fucking game is ter- uh, I think that three. Was, I think that's four. three. Is it four? Four is, you said Blu-ray, right? So that would, that would be uh, that'd be four because that was PS three. Okay, yeah, and it's it's or like Phantom Pain. No, Phantom Pain I, I was okay with. I didn't love it, but it was good. I was fine with okay. it. Okay. Um, so it's probably four. But, dude, it's so... It's and I, it's so pretentious and poorly done that it shocked... And poorly done. Lie all you want and pretend it's good. It's not. It is a poorly done game <laughs> from start to finish. Poorly fucking done. That blew me away. Um, uh, but that's because I didn't play it. I'm not caught up in the cocksucking. Like, I don't care about that. I don't care who he is. I don't care who Holy makes the fucking shit. game. So I just play the game to play the game. The game is legitimately fucking piss poor. There you go. Oh, Sorry. Hot that's take. Funny. Hot take. No, nah, nah, that's fine. That's what our show's about. I would say, uh, for me, Golden Sun, I'm enjoying it, though. Whoa, what'd you say? Got... Sorry, what'd you say? Golden Sun. Golden Sun. Go- I thought you said GoldenEye. Okay, uh, continue. No, holy shit. I thought shit. you said no, GoldenEye, no, and no, I was no, like, no, whoa, no. this is going to no, be a harsh that one, I, that one I was late to, and I stand by. Like Anyone who tries to tell me, this is a definitive shooter, I'm like, dude, go go try to play a first-person shooter on the fucking N64 with yeah. one analog stick, and let me know how that works. Like, yeah, you have to play like a fucking crab. So... With that in mind, uh, Golden Sun okay. is my choice. Uh, it's one I was late to. I'm playing it for the first time this year. I'm impressed by the dungeon design. It's got some aging issues with, like, just vague, like, not even, you know, because people always go, like, oh, this game doesn't hold your hand, and that's why it's so good. Games aren't made like that nowadays. And I'm like, dude, stop. It was fucking bad design. Just because, you know, like, for example, Golden Sun just assumes that you know after like a certain point in the game go back to your village like no narrative no narrative points oh, no like hitting dialogue sure you just end up having to go just venture out find your way back to your town and and the story picks back up and it's like i got there i'm like how the f-? like i didn't even know what was going on i was like oh oh maybe it's just an extra scene i'm like oh no they're continuing the main story like and that that shouldn't happen it should never happen and, you know there are games like uh, divinity original sin 2 which you know don't hold your hand but they do it in a constructive manner where they right. lead you – know, same thing with Dark Souls, I think. Like they lead you into it. And I'm not talking about Dark Souls story, by the way. My God. But I'm, I'm talking about just like the way they lead you, the player from place to place. You know, They let a sense of discovery and, and exploration be there. Um, they leave it to your intelligence. But they, you know, part of good design is to pull the player to the next location, to the next quest. It doesn't mean that they have to have a marker on their head. Uh, sometimes it's just art. It's lighting, you know, yeah. shine the light on this person in this alley here. And the player will be like, what the fuck's that? And they go on the alley, like that type of shit. But anyway, off track. Yeah, Golden Sun's the one that I got to. That was pretty late. Um, did it hurt my experience? Yeah, in a number of ways. It's a Game Boy game. But I kind of like sprite-based RPG, so I'm a little more forgiving. Big Bad Wolf Hish. 
Have you ever been hooked on a game, but after a certain point, the drive to continue just stops altogether? There have been a couple of times I was very close to finishing a game, but once I got to a certain point, I didn't want to play it anymore. I don't know. Maybe I just didn't want the game to end, and that was my way of avoiding it. Oh, I, I, you know, as a creator, right? Like, I, I talk about most games I play, and what I've noticed is <clears throat> the, the podcast, if I'm allowed to talk about it, by the way, if I'm reviewing it, different situation. I'll get into that in a sec. The podcast is usually my testing grounds. When I talk about it, I get excited about it. Do I have that desire to go home and then play it? Because sometimes you just want to tell someone about it, right? And we're lucky enough to have a platform where we can tell thousands of people how great we think some games are and how bad some are. And so for me, when I talk about it, I splurge about it. Do I feel that desire, especially in a dedicated video? And so what I'll do sometimes, and this is going to sound like a little psychopath, but I'll actually script and record an audio for like a review or a discussion piece on a game, leave it and see if I want to go back and play it. And if I do, then I feel convinced of my emotions for that game and what was captured in the commentary. And I go forth from there. So for me, the test is putting it out into the world and seeing if once I've yelled about it, you know, even sometimes it doesn't have to be a vocal recording. I'll tell my friends about it. Do I have that desire to go back to it? So for me, I have had those times where I'm like, I'll talk about a game a lot. And as you discuss, like Carrick and I have had plenty of discussions where you start to air out some of the design problems, some of the environmental issues, some of the gameplay problems, the, the hooks or the snags. And, uh, and then eventually you realize, oh, this isn't as good as I thought. And I think you don't get to that point sometimes unless you are able to have people who can have that discussion. So for me, those are the testing grounds. Um, but there are definitely, and, and sometimes that can just kill the drive where you're like, yeah, you go back, you pick it up. You're like, yeah, this isn't as good. So he's asking if there's just ever been a game we've played and then stopped playing. Yeah. Like the drive just kind of disappears. Like he says, a game that you've been hooked on. And at a certain point, the drive to continue just stops altogether. Oh yeah. And a couple of times I was very close to finishing a game. I have a friend, by the way, who played Tales of Berseria and got 35 hours in. He was literally in the area before the final boss and did not finish it. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it just it just happens. It's weird, but yep. it just happens. Yeah, I've definitely. Have you ever had that? Yeah, yeah, I've definitely had games where I just have been playing, and for whatever reason, it just dies. I mean, I, I would say I've had tons of games like that. Like it yeah. just um, when it comes to review, no, because you're reviewing them. But when it comes to like even si- like let's say there's a little bit of dead time, and I turn on a game, I'll be playing a game and be so into it. And a lot mm-hmm. of times, my personal belief is that um, because games are interactive, it doesn't require the completion of it. If you're getting fun out of it on your weekend. And you still get your money out of it. So, like, if I bought a game for 20 bucks on Steam and I play it for Saturday, I don't feel a drive. So, if I buy a book, I usually feel a drive to finish it because I get invested in it. But a lot of games okay. don't invest me like a book does. So, I'm just bouncing off, you know, some cool characters and I'm just having a good time. Yeah, in no way, shape, or form do I feel, like, stressed about finishing them. So, I there was a lot where I'm just, like, if it's if I'm not covering it or whatever, I'm, like, I'll probably never play it again. But I, I still don't feel ripped off either. Yeah. Important to differentiate that. Benjam says, uh, or asks, rather, if someone offered you a paid vacation to go anywhere in the country, where would you go? country mm-hmm. I mean, you know it probably means a world right i'm gonna stay country so united states only 
Yes. Arizona. I would go to um, uh, Grand Canyon. Oh, okay. Why would you pick that? Because I haven't gone there and I like Red Dead. <laughs> All right. Yeah, I almost, I almost went there prior to starting the channel. I actually got sick on our prior to the trip, called off from the trip and stayed at work and was laid off the week I was supposed to be gone. So in a way, I'm sort of happy I wasn't gone. Can you imagine that kind of trip? If like you're gone, you get yeah. the phone call being like, no need to come back. <laughs> oh god <laughs> um i would go to maybe i'd, I'd probably go to minnesota they got the huge mall there it's a it's a Do hockey they? place mm. yeah I, I think they i think they have the huge mall in minnesota like great mall of america i think it's called or something like that and so yeah that would that would probably be the place i'd go to um like i said it's a hockey place too i love hockey so like you know it's, it just kind of fits mm-hmm. um but you know, immediately what came to mind is Texas because the food there is so good. It's so so freaking good. If I was Last not question. married, oh sorry, if I was not married, fucking Texas, Texas, yeah, dude. I, I already know where you're going with this. <laughs> I already know where you're going with this. Not even open. I don't mouth. know what magic exists there, Maddie. But what uh. magic exists there <laughs> truly does, and it's magical. And I'm not lying about it. It's magical, hot beyond the beliefs of mortal man. <laughs> <laughs> crazy as fuck but every person i've ever 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 met who's there who's worked for me worked at my companies or i've met has been a fucking downright smoke show last question comes from jk1107 what are your thoughts on drew Carpishin, former lead writer of bioware joining wizards of the coast new studio archetype what types of projects are you hoping to see from the studio? Do you think Bioware losing three veterans who will now join the studio will affect the quality of any future projects such as Dragon Age 4? This is probably something we should have talked about in the news cycle, but here we are now. What do you think about Drew Carpishin joining on? Um, for those who don't know, helped write KOTOR, a lot of Bioware's great games. I think he worked on uh, uh, Mass Effect as well. So he, he was around for a lot of their strong titles, helping write those. But I think he's also the one who wrote on the fucking napkin. Let's see what happens if we kill Shepard. Did he really? I'm pretty sure that he's the one who just magically woke up and was like, hey, what about killing Shepard? Like, just had no real thought process for it all. (laughs) Um, I don't know. I don't really care. I don't really... I don't think three people moving over here... We've seen this too many times. How many... Since I've been in the industry, but if you ignore that, just go how long I've been playing games. For the last 20 years... How many millions of times, Maddie, have we heard the top three people from this company are opening their own company and nothing comes of it? Nothing. Mm-hmm. So That's to me, means Sizzle nothing. Yeah. Headline. Yeah, yeah, I get that. Yeah, I, I think in writing, it's a little more easy to gleam on how someone, someone's impact can be or how, how, how prevalent an impact can be, rather. Um, True. You know, I, I think because, you, you know, it's just you're constantly hit with dialogue in any game. And you can usually yeah. tell by vocabulary, grammar, uh, imagery, how well written a game is. And, yeah. and how it, you know, invokes your imagination, but also just like, you know, lines that don't feel cliche, that type of stuff. So I feel like writing uh, is, is a little more prevalent where uh, I'm excited to buy Drew Carpishan's edition. Uh, but when it comes to like, if they if they brought like, I think animation, yeah, you could like, if, they, if for example, like, this company hired a bunch of animators from TT Games, I would be fucking ecstatic because I think they're, like, the best animators in the industry. Like, the fucking Legos, that that takes to, to at least in the old days, man, to, to take these voiceless 
toys and give them emotion and expression without having them utter a word, even when they do now. Um, I just think the animation work there is brilliant. So I would be more excited about something like that. Uh, yeah, but, that's, that's um, a good point, though. Yeah, it, so I, I just think, like, it depends what facet of the game they're working on. Writing, good. Uh, but stuff like direction, design, that's a huge team, right? That's a little bit harder to to gleam on because then it, yeah. it trickles into gameplay systems. And overall, it's just like that's not that's that's one person who may have influence, but something we won't see in the product. It's just about how everyone comes together and gets the game working. So for me, I'm usually pretty, as like Carrick is, I'm pretty unaffected by additions to the studio. And, and you know, like we talk about uh, an old addition on, on Fallout 4 uh, for Bethesda Game Studios was someone who worked on Destiny. He came over to help like fine-tune the shooting. But for a lot of people, I made a big deal about about it, but I wasn't as knowledgeable about game development. But like that one person is not controlling like how the game shoots and feels, right? Like, right. for example, Bethesda owns machine games. They own id Software, like two prevalent, dominant first-person shooting companies. Like they don't need to go to the outside for good shooting. And that's why you saw the shooting in... Fallout 4 improved more likely than that one person who they added on. Yeah. So yeah, there's agree. that worth considering. Um, is it exciting that this company archetype is getting new talent like this? Yeah. 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 Great. For sure. But, yeah. you know. But I think that just is general. It's, it's yeah, exciting. I was when, say. when And it's exciting when people who want to work in the industry and aren't forced to because of money or whatever, but want to work there, mm-hmm. get their jobs. Drew wants to work here. He could probably do, uh, what do you call it? TV or something. And so that's cool. It's like Chris. Chris could work on a thousand. Yeah, he could could work on a thousand different things, but he's working on games, which to me, that's always really exciting, which I know a lot of people think is a cheat answer because they want some passion behind this stuff. But at some point, the passion goes away when you see it fizzle out so many times. And instead, Mm -hmm. it's like, let's just look at it when it all comes together. And um, you got to live through a Mass Effect before you can... Be sit in my <laughs> yeah. shoes. You really, I mean, I don't know any other way That's to true. say it, dude. But if you live through a Mass Effect and you start the, the falling down, then I think the next time it pops up, you might be a little less tenacious about your excitement. It's just that's just me. Yeah, no, just curmudgeon. <laughs> All right, that's our last question, my friend. Oh, was it? That is it? Yep, that was our last question. We're actually early today compared to the other times because the other two yeah. we were like five. I think it's because our early sections were longer. <clears throat> and our pa- patron question, we kind of just zipped right through. Usually we take an hour on the patron questions, mm. and we're we're like 40 minutes in on that. So not too bad, but this is why we just don't even bother splitting it up at this point. At first we tried that, but it's just not it's not worth it. It's just more fun to have just an end-of-the-podcast discussion to cap off the week. Yeah. Yeah, it works All right. So if you got this far into the the podcast, you want to go ahead and let us know. You can tag us on Twitter. And we're going to say, uh, you, use the hashtag. I was going to come up with something so negative. Like, oh, like no. don't be don't be excited or something. I don't want to do that. But I was like, oh, as I've been a Debbie Downer for like two of these answers, be like, kill your excitement. <laughs> Just something shitty. Falsified hype. Yeah, false uh, yeah, well, hype. We could do that. We could do that. Yeah, just just test just test those who, who suffered through our show. <laughs> yes, thank you for making it through. Yeah, we appreciate you guys. So yeah, if you got this far, false hype will be the hashtag. You can tag us. You can throw it in the comments. You can throw it on the Patreon post when this goes live for early access. You can tag me on Discord. You can let Carrick know he's also in our Discord. Uh, just get involved. We love talking to you guys, seeing what you think about the show. 
and that'll wrap it up. Carrick, any final thoughts as we as we shut this sucker down? No, have an excellent weekend. I will be out next uh, week. All right, yes, you will, and so that means it'll it'll probably be a solo show, ladies and gentlemen, or that we get or that or we get a guest. I've I've had such a fucking issue this whole show English speaking speaking speaking. I've noticed, and now I'm doing yeah. it. I'm spe- spe- speaking. Yeah, like <laughs> I literally will say I'll, I'll go to say like two words, and they'll just be flipped. <laughs> and, I'm just, and, I'll, and I'll say it and I'll be like no other ladies way. and gentlemen and this I, is what a stroke sounds like <laughs> <laughs> yeah because I'm just like hold on we got it I, and I'm trying to like speak on the fly right like you know the part of the podcast the goal is to keep it smooth flowing keep it moving um, but also this is why I don't edit it so you guys get to hear all of my fuckery in, in real time and, and you know because people sometimes it's very rare but sometimes I'll get comments or or like a tweet saying, like, Maddie, you're so well-spoken. I'm like, dude, you haven't listened to the fucking podcast because <laughs> I am fucking not. <laughs> All right. We'll leave you guys now. We appreciate you listening this Listen deep. Me. Thank you so much for supporting our show. And we will talk to you guys next week. Peace out. Peace out. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. 